Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 36, and today we are joined by Juana Tran. She is a artist, poet, YouTuber, a New Yorker, a descendant of survival of the Stalinist regime <laughs> in, in Russia. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, uh, I was uh, Hungarian. Hungarian. Hungarian, come on, Brent. Get thought, your story I'm sorry. straight. I'm sorry, but she said Stalin. My bad. Do your research. It was, but Stalin was, you know, he was the overarching dude. But that Stalin's asshole. From Hungary. Yeah. So yes. welcome, yes. on. welcome. Yeah, we're Hi. really excited to talk to you. We've been waiting for this conversation, and it's going still to. Still New Yorkers, man. Anywhere you are, you're still New Yorkers, right? Still it's New true. Yorkers. Well, I'm a Jersey boy, and I always. I always consider myself a Jersey boy. Dirty Jersey. Dirty Jersey. I was born in Jersey. We were just, uh, before this, we were talking about that, but my father's actually from the town we're from. Yeah, Elizabeth, New Jersey, rep in E-Town. It's kind of going through a bit of a downfall right now, too, just like New York City, but hopefully. I was founded in Elizabeth. I went to Pingree, so. Yeah, I remember you told me that. I'm like, whoa, you went to the Pingree school. Crazy. Like, the only reason I know what that is is because I went to Kane University, and it, they now own that building, and it's one of oh, the, the original campus. campus yeah. yeah. Yep. So, why don't you want to tell us about what's going on? <laughs> what's going on up in New York? How's it, how's it been? So, you guys, I think we're here briefly. What month was that? A few weeks ago. We were, we were back uh, like mid, early September-ish. We've been back and forth a couple times. So, I mean, and you guys are, you know, we, we were, you were from the same block, which is kind of amazing too. So that Yeah, can... Hell's Kitchen, 57th Street. Oh, yeah, which was amazing. This was a great neighborhood. Um, what's it going was. on? It was. The key I think that many people don't understand right now is that... Um, you know, when, when people would say, you know, you get what you vote for, right? People don't realize, like, we did not vote for this. I mean, even now it's even more so because we definitely didn't vote for our governor. No one voted for right? When it came to right. de Blasio, it was like, what did he have? He had like 80% or 14% of the entire vote originally. Oh, yeah. So, so when, you know, what I would say to that is, you know, if you really want to talk about what's going on in New York here, the GOP is just as responsible as the DNC, to be honest. Like, it's, it's they didn't, they didn't. I don't know what's been going on. It's yeah. they didn't from anybody. They don't do anything. Mike Harlow agrees with you. Very oh, I, I, and exactly. Mike, Mike, actually, I gotta say, Mike was on this, this, I, this, the reality of this earlier than most people that I that I know, and he caught on to it. But it's just even in the final, like you know, when Jerry Nadler was up for, you know, he could have been after everything had happened in this neighborhood, you know, he's he would you know, all the riots and stuff like that in the Upper West Side, they would have gone red. The Upper West Side, if they had run, like it bothered to put any money into that election. I'm convinced that Castamides and all of them are, are that it's, it's like Tammany Hall. We just don't realize it. Like hmm. Castamides' daughter, so Castamides was was this guy who, he, who, who for people who don't know, he's been the running for, like he used to run for mayor um, as this Republican guy. And I, I'm sorry to put it like he looks like a giant walrus. Um, <laughs> and his daughter, and I, and I listen, I, I say this and I hesitate. You, you know, I always say, I always want you like, you have to like put a picture of her up. So I don't describe her because I, I can't be polite to describe <laughs> her name. You don't have to be polite on dangerous rhetoric. No, no, but this is this is a tough one. Like, so she she was running the Manhattan GOP, and he's she's his daughter. What's and you have to remember Castamides. Um, just if you write Manhattan GOP, she will pop up. 
And so this woman, like in the beginning of the lockdowns, for example, she was throwing these huge events in like Hampton, like 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 lobster bakes and stuff. And if you pull her up, you'll understand. Like you, you, when you 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 she, you can't miss her. Sorry, I'm looking. I Google Mahanjuti. Yeah, it's because you're using DuckDuckGo, Brent. Well, what's wrong well, with you? Cast Google. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can hear it. I think I can share my screen, right? I believe it's so. like what's wrong with DuckDuckGo. It's Caster... not Google. You're going to get less results, unfortunately. Andrea? Andrea? I'm pretty sure that's At it. Does so she have like this like oh, American wow. flag bikini? This is, this and... is interesting. Yeah. yeah. What the hell? Okay, so basically the only way I can like you know, but look at all of her, look at look at all of her stuff. Like if you go to her Instagram, it's like a patriotic hooker. Yeah. Okay, okay. This one right here, I don't know if you can see much the, the one that's um, below that one on the right, like the one where she's like holding the like rainbow flag and the and the, the and this one go down. Yeah, yeah, click that one. Yeah, her face is kind of weird. Great. Book. Okay, look, she, she looks she, like a shark. Okay, wait, let me let you understand. So she's the like, all right, the tackiest heiress in New York is also the face of Manhattan Republican Party. <laughs> now understand that, like, I'd be fine with all of that if, in fact, that her father wasn't always running for mayor, and if he hadn't actually just sent out like letters telling everybody to register as Democrats if they were not Republican, if they were registered as Republicans, and if he had not funded de Blasio's like campaign. So her father, if you go to the middle, you'll see this, like her in a pink, you go back and you'll see her- Her Instagram. Go, go back to, no, but if you go back to like, you just saw, there's this amazing one with her father. If you go back to like the Google, the images. Oh, the Google. And if, yeah, yeah, go back and we'll go to like, okay, see, right. Okay, there. that's that's her and her dad right there in the middle. Like, the guy yeah. The shades okay. on? Oh, okay. wow. Yeah, Those look like a walrus. Right. Oh my so God. The guy, he, yeah. owns, he owns the Stevies, okay? Oh. Now, if you what? look at all of this the stuff, Stevies, I mean, the, the food look, market okay, chain. Oh. there is no way that this guy's not, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> like, I, I'm from North Caldwell. Do I need to lay it out? Like, hello? I mean, whoa. Right. Now, can you see why he never wins? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. But here's the thing: is he also not exactly the face of New York? With him, and look, there's a picture of Hillary, like with you know her, like all of this is the green person in the green. That's Hillary. If you go like third row, second from the left. Oh, it's like turquoise. Like this is what the hell is she wearing? That looks like a carpet. She's the wedding. She's got she's got no no taste. You know that. Remember her Maoist outfits. Pantsuits. <laughs> oh, Hillary. Oh, like, like, oh, when she, or, or when she was wearing all that purple and, like, you know, color revolution will be purple. So, this is the face of the Republican Party. And yes. And she was the person. So, remember, Nadler, Manhattan GOP, she's the one who, like, he, anybody. So, he, you know, Upper West Side, what's her name? Um, the Assemblywoman, like Rosen, whatever. I can't remember what her name is. Is it Kristen Gillibrand? No, the one, no, the one who is um just local, like um assembly, whatever it is, she she had, she was running unopposed. There were something like five thousand write-ins against her, which never happens. I mean, the Upper West Side would have gone red hmm. because they were so angry about what was going on with the you know, what, what people don't realize is that all that talk about opening up, you know, putting the homeless into the the shelters, like you live on this block, you know what happened to us. Yeah. Those were yeah. These, the these were not homeless people. These were DOC people. Yeah. They were they, they released from the prisons. Yeah. 
who probably should not have been released because a lot of them have mental ill mental uh, mental also, illness. some of them some of them were level two level one sex offenders yep. all of them were um a lot of them were actually not even released these are people who were in between because remember there were, when bail reform went in you couldn't have bail so then there were these moments like everything it, it was just a disaster and they would be yeah. moving people in here like in cycles where people wouldn't even want to be in this neighborhood because it would be too expensive and so suddenly it's like they have nothing all they can do is steal right and so i mean the fact is though if you realize this is probably all a real estate grab yep they're trying yeah. to devalue the property yeah. so that they can buy it up for pennies on the dollar drain the city you know push everyone out and and you know and because he wanted to create you know um low-income housing and all that like basically the idea everything that we had gained and figured out from like jane jacobs and stuff in this neighborhood has not been like people keep saying it's gentrified no it's not it was I mean, first of all it was the westies in this neighborhood so when you talk about gentrification in this neighborhood it gets a little weird like this was you know all irish mafia for the longest time yeah. right you know? and this was um this area you know you know the gay boys you know came north right from chelsea Yep. And it was a really dynamic, interesting neighborhood that kind of happened organically. And it also, of course, had Broadway close by. So there was a lot of yeah. artists, things. And as it started to do well, this block, you know, people who don't know New York don't understand that, you know, one block to another block, everything can change. Yeah. So the fact Carnegie that- Carnegie Hall's right nearby. I mean, Hell's Kitchen was, well, well, east was a of great us, place. Yeah, like Carnegie Hall's- really near Rome, Right? Like yeah. all the flagships and stuff. So- he th this block was specifically targeted that's what was so unbelievable to me this whole neighborhood was interesting yeah. all the hotels in the area were inundated with like the people that were they released basically from rikers and, and it's not only that instantly like the looting happened like that was i mean i remember if you if you think about it the our block normally in any other you don't allow the flagships to be looted because if the flagships are looted, people don't understand everyone says oh there's insurance no there is no insurance for civil unrest right none so what flagship like what what store is going to want to risk that kind of you know the fact that chanel and all of them came back like chanel actually came back not because they had to they, i mean i actually spoke with one of the managers they came back because they said I, we love new york yeah, they closed. Uh, what was the what's the jewelry store? I always forget the stinking jewelry store. The fancy jewelry. Uh, I can't remember. Tiffany's. What was it? Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Yeah, they have that one. It's right there uh, on Fifty Seven, and I think it's Fifth uh, or Sixth Avenue. The whole block is a mess. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you walk on Fifty Seventh Street, still, like I, I went out and, and were you were you around during the looting? Did you hear uh, we were there. Yeah, yeah we, we were there stayed the, inside. We were there for the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I heard it too. So I'm just a little east of you, and so I in the at dawn when when everything had um, got quiet, and and so one of the things that I have to say about that is that anyone who says that this was in any way an expression of civil rights or in any way expression of Black Lives Matter, like in any way, wrong. Totally wrong. That's like. That's that, I mean, frankly, you're anyone who says that, I also think I'm just gonna say it, they're they're bigots. Yeah. Because to say that people who are, you know, especially in, let's talk about this in New York, like people thinking that the that anyone other than working class Americans suffered from this 
is lying to themselves. And this is, you know, your typical idiocy that comes in. I mean, the reality is, is that I, I never posted to Twitter. You, you know, when you called me a Twitter personality, I was like giggling at that because it was the looting that made me actually even post to Twitter because I had had an account, but I think like yours, I never said anything. And then there was this one woman who was an NYU professor who said, and you know, if, if, if you want to find it, you can probably find the tweet really easy. If you just put my name in Soho, it'll pop right up because it's the only one that's like that. She was claiming that the looting that was going on in Soho, where it happened there first, and I'd been watching this stuff because I was, I knew it wasn't going to show up on the news and I here by myself. I wanted to know where they were, which what was going on. And I was watching this footage from Soho and these assholes saying that Soho had just been liberated. <laughs> and honestly, there was a bunch of like, you understand when I say this, B and T like white boys standing in front, like with fires, like dancing. There were like, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. And then of course. Oh, you found it. Yeah, it's from uh, May 2020. Yep, and of course, Arlene Davila. Yep, yep. And that tweet, like, I looked at that, and I normally would say nothing to somebody like that, but I was like your your breakthrough moment where you're like, I need to speak. I was like, I was like, how dare you say? I mean, I went to NYU, right? Just read it real quick for people that are hearing that are audio only. She's Arlene Davila. She is a scholar, cultural worker, writer of Latinx, Latin AM studies, founding director of the Latinx Project NYU. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Can you hear my eyes rolling? She says, anyone surprised that protests include looting of luxury stores in Soho and elsewhere doesn't know the first thing about racial capitalism and luxury consumption. Racial exploitation is at the root of consumer capitalism built on the co-modification of black bodies through slavery. Black bodies. Black bodies. What, what is what, that? Why do they always say yeah. black bodies? Like, because, because they have no, they, they have, it's a clue. Because they're racist? <laughs> They're total big. It is a completely bigoted thing, but also because they're focused on the body. People are focused on the physical. The same reason that they they don't see people as individuals. They see people. Okay, these black bodies, by the way, it really doesn't matter now if they're getting like you know coerced into vaccination. It's all it's all BS. It's whatever works for their freaking. Yeah, I think it's disingenuous weaponization of language in order to push a political and social agenda. They will say whatever they need to do to get you to comply. And you see this again and again and again from the people on the left. I view it as just like a fixation on the physical, on on the body. Throughout the world, consumer capitalism, shopping, and inequality are intertwined at the production and consumption ends from exploitive sweatshops jobs to precarious minimum wage retail jobs without benefits. Advertising is one of the whitest industries in corporate America. Finally, across the globe, protests against neoliberal capitalism have involved looting of major symbols of consumption, most recently in Chile, where it was symbols of global capitalism such as Starbucks stores and banks that were most looted. Oh, and Soho Shopping District is not New York. NYC is more than the privatized urban landscape it has become, which is another place where we see the links, she says inks, but see the links between racial capitalism and consumption in the form of gentrification and displacement. Let me just say really quick, can you believe that people actually pay thousands and thousands of dollars to learn how to speak? Hey, I went to NYU. So understand, so if you, by the way, if you click what she said, you'll see there's a little bit more that I said underneath okay. there. Yeah, no, I but saw your, I was going to read yours. I went to NYU. So my brain exploded. I see this. 
Now, I understand this is, you know, people who don't know, this is not far from 9-11. Like, like it's really just a couple blocks north. Yeah. And realize, too, SOHO is right next to NYU. Yes. So, and, and there is nothing, I mean, in my head, you have to, like, so that nobody had been defending looting at all until this person. Hmm. This was the first one. And I had never, ever confronted a far leftist in public before because they used to scare the crap out of me. Like, I'll be honest with you, I was a total... Oh, they're scary. Yeah. They, they have horrors of... Send, send the mob after you, cancel you, tarnish your name, call your that job. He said, I mean, I haven't, so far that hasn't happened to me. I mean, knock on wood, that doesn't, but I'll tell you honestly, what they, they what, after what my grandfather went through, they can't do anything to me. Like, honestly, they can't. We should talk and about especially after, Compared to what they've already done to me now, technically, they can't. Okay. So I have nothing to lose. But in this moment, when she said that Soho was not part of New York City, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we lost. Did we lose her? Wanna? Right. Oh, there you are. You're back. Yeah, you froze a little. Yes, bit. A minute. Yeah. Sorry, I said, as a New Yorker, I was like, yeah, yeah. saying that Soho is not New York. <laughs> it's absurd. I mean, it is absurd. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Singling so out any. Let's age. let's read her tweet. You want me to read it? You know what? Do you, do you yeah, want to? Just, just click on. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. click on which. Yeah, there it is. It's uh. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 yeah. Sure, it would let me guess. Yeah, let yeah, me guess. Like, Soho stopped being New York City when the artists who lived there reached a level of success you find personally insulting, and therefore their neighborhoods, by being othered, are perfectly reasonable to ransack because they're paying for the sins of the capitalist. Click the next one, bro. I love it. When the least self-aware of the bourgeois other than the proletariat makes me think for just a moment that an ideology they that killed millions, including my family members, and its heart had its heart in the right place. And mostly just flawed cheerleaders and race baiters. No one's perfect. She never responded to that? No, and there's one more. I said that um, I don't know if you can. I don't know why I can't see it there, but it's. Uh, yeah, I said useful idiots and. No, yeah. it's it's um it's I said uh, no one. It was the same day as I said uh, no one screws over the working class quite like an American Marxist academic who works in the neighborhood a few blocks over, do they? Carl, <laughs> <laughs> I could be so proud. You're gonna go help clean up the glass to cover and cover cuts to salaries, or are there people for that? <laughs> Yeah, they do. and I'll be honest with you. It's, it was in that moment where I, I suddenly realized that I knew a bit more about that, like about Marxism, than these people do. So, like, how how somebody could be accusing Starbucks workers, like people who work at Starbucks, as being like bourgeois? It's it's laughable. Yeah. This is weird too because she has 10k plus followers, right? Of course she but does. She has, but but her, the engagement on her page is kind of pathetic. Like yeah, she I get more engagement than her. She now. hardly has any comments, and I mean, she gets like you know a dozen to like two dozen, three dozen. She likes. may have bought followers, or a lot of them are just. Listen, like, she's got ten thousand. I've got like. I mean, listen, I don't. I, I don't. I'm. Every time I I give, I'm kind of always stunned. I'm always actually very happy about what has made people interested. But I'll tell you something. That moment there like when i said something i will tell you it changed everything for me because the next day was when our block was looted right and so as a new york i mean this is something that i don't think people get you know we what happened here is not something we understand like it, it was a real it hurt yeah you have to see it and that's the we thing did, it's uh... like a, a lot of people 
they talk about what New York is like. They're like, oh, it's coming back. It's recovering. Oh, all this stuff. It's no, like, no. you need to go there and see it. And if you didn't see well, it, also, they, you they know what they're talking about. Like, they, have to call, they have to realize. I mean, just recently, somebody on Twitter, I'm just going to say this. She, she said, and this is a person who's anti all this stuff going on, supposedly. And somebody that I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, it was somebody that's part of, I thought, part of this. I guess we can call it team reality or, or, or team reality. Out. I like team reality. And so, so this is a person, lots of followers. She's got, you know, a lot of um, people have been listening to what she has to say. And she actually said that New York, because they have all the, you know, full restaurants, essentially that if, if her children were not kept out of school right now, then New York would feel like it was all over. Nothing had ever happened. I was like, crazy yeah it's it's yeah this is the people who think that you know the you know the our bottomless brunch is somehow indicative of normality they have no i mean i've been in here i've been here since i've been here since 1996 and every neighborhood of course is different in many ways like when i would walk from there's some neighborhoods that feel completely different i mean ours is ours i would dare say ours is the worst like the worst hit of in of regards the- to where it was to what it is now for sure compared, how, oh yeah the kitchen prime. Was transformed well i mean i'll say this much even compared to what it once was you know i've never in my life felt i can hear a little in new york i've never felt afraid of walking at any hour but also i have never thought that i could possibly be raped by a stranger ever now i'm afraid of that that's because it's happened and the fact that it's happened, this is the thing that people don't understand that when you, so Jane Jacobs was this incredible woman who wrote The Death and Life of Great American Cities. And she talks about wow, how it is that a, 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 you know, the life of a city is in its people. Mm. You know, like she, used to, she would say that every single woman should live above a bar. Because she would say that it's the eyes and ears of a city. Like why, like having a city open late all the lately, the fact that New York was so, it was a 24 hour city, was part of what made it say, I moved yeah. to this neighborhood because of Ninth Avenue. Right. Ninth Avenue is being, right? So, well, I, for I, people I, that I don't know, I bring, I bring up that as an example frequently on this show. Right. Well, Ninth Avenue was a vibrant and popular space for restaurants, and bars. bars. Yeah. There was like, before the lockdowns, there was something like a dozen gay bars yeah. that were just lining up and down and all, the, all of the street. And, the, and that's the thing, too, the food, is that the food was, festival, too, which used to happen. Look, all of it, everything that was happening was a very organic. There was the, almost a natural diversity of Hell's Kitchen that kind of happened yeah. organically. Yeah. Right. All different and, cultures of food too. Like if you wanted to eat a certain cultural food, walk down Ninth Avenue, you'll probably find it. And it's it's crazy to try to explain to people just how much it's transformed because I and I took videos of this. Stuff. I put multiple it's videos. True. So did I? I in, in, in 2020, December especially, and I would. Do you, remember, do you remember the day? Were you? Do you remember the day, the first Friday that they they did the they shut down and everything? Do you remember that day? Because I have footage of it. And I was here on 9-11 and I remember saying, this didn't happen after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. This something that's very serious here. Yeah. And if we think about the fact that we know that the lockdowns were wrong, which we do know that, and, and that's, that's, and then we think about what Cuomo did, which is killed 30,000, 30,000 New Yorkers. Evil. And then we think about everything else. Like, then, and then you realize that the, the, 
the what's happened with the sort of B, supposed BLM protests, which people who are marching and protesting, that's not what I'm talking about. Afterwards, the amount of looting is, that, that was connected 100% to the BLM leadership. And then the fireworks that went on for like weeks and weeks and weeks and clearly all of that organized. Yep. Our city was attacked. Yeah. Yep. But it was. And we are finally admitting that and talking about that. But it, I mean, it was such a relief to hear people say that because for, I don't know about you, but for me, knowing that and people not understanding that, it, especially during the 20th anniversary of 9-11 of all time. Like, I am so angry about what's happened to our, to our home. And I don't think people realize what this means. Like, yeah, they economically means. devastated the entire area. They did it intentionally. And oh, absolutely. they're likely doing it, to, like, as we said, you know, to drive down real estate prices so that they can pick things up for pennies on the dollar. And well, build back better, right? Right. This is, well, this is the grand zero for it. And I'll tell you the way that what they're doing to Broadway, what they've done to the theaters, what they're doing to, to the world of the arts. What's happening right now in Broadway? Is Broadway back? Are you, how does that, how does it even work? Do you okay, have to well, so, so, and have a shot to go to the, to go to the theater? Like, well, let me put it like this. So, you know, back in March of 2021, I, I shot a performance art piece, which it's called, um, you could see it, on, it's on my YouTube. Um, it's uh, art, it's um, Artist Confront COVID Restrictions. It was modeled after the, the Swiss piece. And I shot it and there's a portion of it that's right under the Winter Garden Theater marquee. And, um, oh, where'd he go? The thing is that I remember the first, one of the first people who she's a, or this person has a, was, was involved in the business side of, of Broadway. The day after I shot this, somebody asked her what was going on with Broadway and, you know, when were things going to open up? And she then says that it's going to open up with these, with the vaccine mandate or vaccine passports requirement. And, and by the way, this is before I knew my situation, my situation being that I cannot be vaccinated for this. I, I mean, I just had the flu shot a few weeks ago. So to call me anti-vax is kind of like if I was allergic to peanuts, calling me anti-lagoon, right? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Or like, like strawberry, like anti, if I had allergic to strawberries, I'm anti-fruit all of a sudden. Worse yet, I am denying you fruit. Right. Right. Or my peanut allergy means that, you know, you are, you know, you can't, you know, you, you have to be able to eat legumes or that, you know, whatever. None of it's rational. None of it makes any sense. Right. No, but I honestly thought I never imagined that I'd be in the position that I'm in. But when this person said there was going to be vaccine passports, I remember looking at her saying, as artists, it's our job to not do that. It's our job to be the people that are, whether at first it seems rational or not, for all the reasons that art has always been dangerous or subversive or, 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 or had, you know, pushed against the, the, you know, the idea that artists are in like lockstep with the government is just what the heck is going on? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Right. Doesn't. And, and, and the only reason it, what it's so reminiscent of the worst atrocities we've ever seen happen and the way that art has played a role in those atrocities. And I've been talking, like, that's the next thing I started talking about on, on Twitter, mostly because when I would try to talk about it on say Facebook, there was nobody there that, you know, my direct circle or even my extended circle, they, they weren't interested, but suddenly people on Twitter who, who weren't in my circle, who were, weren't even artists, you know, they, if I talked to them about Meyerhold, or if I pointed out the, the way dancing nurses have their, you know, can, like roots in Maoist, you know, 
um, removal of the three old, like three I old. I saw old that that thread. You did a whole thread on that, which I yeah. thought was fascinating, actually. Well, it's if you know, it, it's it was something. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that people would be blown away by it. I mean, I was very, I was, I was kind of just had in my head. I just when I once I saw this, I had to get it out of my head. It's the only way I can explain it, and I wanted to just sort of show without telling what is obvious like obviously going on and I kind of tried to create something which would have been similar to what I would have maybe had in art school because I went to, to school of the arts back then I graduated in 2000 so there was this is the way that we would have potentially looked at something like this and said you know so I called it a study like what is the connective tissue between this and this and it's so clearly a form of when you so remember that with the dancing nurses they all have these like weird line dances that they did right and they all kind of were you know you you would watch it and it would be very clear to you that you are not you are othered you are not welcome to be participating in, in whatever this is and you have to just observe it and sort of it's almost like priest class like they're a priest class like yeah. you can't you have to right and this is such an egregious thing to do because at a time when all of our rituals have been taken away from us all of them yeah they and, shut everything down movie theaters theaters but, concert but they, venues all those things gone the thing though that's that's i think artists will understand this or should understand this and it's not to try to be i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to say that non-artists don't understand this because one of the things I'll say is that I, I think I get what you mean. Artists understand it, real artists understand it in a, in a different way. Yes, but, but also I think it's intrinsically. Like we know, for example, any any art, like anyone who's in theater who tells you that these masks don't, there's no cost, is lying to you. Mm -hmm. Lying. The people who are in theater more than anybody will understand that mask the facial expression. I absolutely despise the phrase it's just a mask. Yeah. Because yeah. it's such so a that's why that's why like more the performance art piece that I created, which by the way, I hadn't performed in years. I hadn't I had never I need a cigarette while talking about this. Like I never get it. I hadn't done you gotta get it. Like <laughs> <laughs> like if you if you pull it up, I mean it's the you can see it in my YouTube I can pull it up. I honestly there was the masks that scared me the first, the most at first. And it was also this weird understanding that let's say, let's say masks worked brilliantly. The fact that no one would acknowledge the cost, even while it worked brilliantly. Yeah, as if there's no trade-off at all. They put right. there's no trade-off at all. There's no negative consequences. We're not going to talk about that. It's for your health. For exactly. Your and that's why, like, you know, immediately I wrote a, by the way, the, the piece was really they, like the I, the lyrics in it, I wrote it's it's like a poem. I mean, but it's it's a poem of like trying to, you know, it starts like um you know uh, compliance is compassion. One small. Do you want me to play it? I can play it. Uh, Go ahead. I mean, it's, it's a little bit long, but the reason that I did it, and and this was the thing though, is that it was fascinating, and and one of the things that really blew my mind about when we were shooting this, there was nobody in um it's a little bit lower. It's uh second it's, uh fourth uh. All the way on the left. Yep, that's it. I think uh, I'll, I think I'll yeah. share a poem too at some point in the show. That oh, I, I love that. So you, it's right there. I think you in particular will understand and resonate with. Not that one. That's not it. Stop. No. Back. Not that. That's like that's not very good. It's I'm the, above that. Go go. The artist confirmed COVID restrictions. It's the fourth up on the left. 
Confront there it is. There yeah, we go. That's it. Thank and you. it's basically it was inspired by this. Uh, okay, you want to introduce? So sure. So it was shot um, March 21st in the evening. Um, none of this, this was incredible. Is that the people who, who did the, the the video, they, they had experienced, like, I, I, I was so thrilled that people wanted to get involved and that I wasn't going to just be holding an iPhone. But um, I had never before, like, directed something where I was also performing it. I'd never done something that was going to be filmed. And I also, none of the people who performers are dancers or performers at all. So, and we had only one quick rehearsal right before we did this. So I was amazed by how much people wanted to participate, but I was also amazed with the fact that, so, you know, people said this, this was shot in Times Square. Nobody, it was empty, completely empty, except for some really serious homeless folks that looked like they were straight out of central casting. Like they were frighteningly out of central casting. And so when we were doing this, I had no idea how they would react. And I was feeling a little bit, um, I had a bit of a panic attack, I'll be honest with you, right in the very beginning before we did it, because I was worried I was putting people in danger. But when it was over, and you don't see this in fully, but when you watch it, you'll see there's this one guy who kind of started drumming, like he was with the smile on his face. The number of homeless people who thanked me and them for what we did was something that I've never forgotten. And it makes me so sad now because it was like in that moment, they understood despite however scary or even potentially aggressive they were, they were as more New Yorkers than, than most of the people were. And at the end of it, this one guy was like being so deferential. Like he was, you know, helping me throw something away as if I was trying to throw something away at the Ritz. I mean, it was, I honestly, what bothers me about it now is I really thought somehow that there's no way that we would possibly not allow to go to the theater. Right. And worse yet, to continue to wear masks when they're watching the theater. The whole thing is absurd. All right. And so, so this was that thing. And, it was, and the, and the uh, music is by this guy named Ed McGuire. Cool. All right. Well, let me uh, just tinker a bit so that everything is good to go and check the audio. It's working. I'm going to mute our mics. And by the way, when anybody sees the thread about Meyerhold that I talked about, the 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 kind of technique that I used here was a uh, oh, it's muted. By the way, I don't know why. But the technique I used here is actually based on Meyerhold's training, but it's I don't know why you can't hear it. Yeah, there should be volume there. Can you hear me? I can't. You guys are muted. You guys are muted. Hello, you're muted. There you go. Okay, go back. <laughs> you were muted. Yeah, you were muted the whole time. Sorry. Oh, my bad. Okay. All good. That sounds like I'm like okay, so editing later. Compliance is compassion. One small ask. Wear a mask. Shelter This is the beginning of a metal record. All in this together. To the frontline hero. Six feet apart is the day home. Save lives. Masks cost nothing. Protect the essential workers. Keep social distance. Protect your lives. Leave them alone. Practice harm reduction. Do not gather. Do nothing. 
That was the intro. This is like the, the quote to a the metal quotes, record. Well, these is that it persuades you that not that the only abnormal person is the one who refuses to join the madness of others, the one who tries vainly to resist. We will never understand this totalitarianism if we do not understand that people rarely have the strength to be uncommon. So, Eugene Genesco? Eugene Genesco. He was a, um, a playwright but he was he didn't become a playwright until he was uh i think it was 43 wow. so he was an absurdist playwright um around the same time as there's a, there's a typo in my name there which is hilarious but um because i probably did that um but um he was an absurdist playwright um satra same same time as him and he was romanian and was living in france and so he experienced both hitler and stalin and in fact it's one of his plays that I really, really want to do, which my inability to do it because I can't be indoors is why I'm thinking I need to at least try to find a way to come down into your neck of the woods for a few months at a time, at least, because- the Free country of Florida. Well, here's, here's the thing that, that I, was, I struggle with. So when I wanted to do that, like I just came to me, I decided to do it. When I realized that there was a play that I really want, I, it's unimaginable to me that I live in New York City and I can't just do it. Yeah. Like that was a thing that was, it It made me realize that the something that I was always the most afraid of that I'd seen in Romania. It's is already here. here. You're already living through it. You, you and us were second classes. The enemies are behind the walls. Well, what's sadder about it is like, even if we are second, third class, like, 
the fact so there's a story I always tell about this playground that I I go to, I used to go to as a kid and it was covered in trash and stuff and then I remember being a kid and looking at the parents and the kids and saying come on let's clean it up and they they wouldn't they wouldn't move they wouldn't budge and we could have and it freaked me out I was really scared by it and I thought at first they didn't want to play with me and all they could say is nupot which means we can't in Romanian and I used to tell this story to reassure people that America was going to be okay no matter what because we never did like we always we could hear the fact that a city in our country does not allow the pursuit of basic this basic creative expression like it is so bad and not and just I, any city either like a city, is that, a city that is known to be like the, the best city in the world creative. literally and like look, there's a reason that it was known that way and it's, it's not that look new yorkers would say this is like the fact like some new york isn't for everybody but for the people who it was for we were i was a neat i mean you know it's hard for me to say this i have to now put myself as an american before a new yorker like i mean new yorker being a new yorker though meant being an american in the most i mean Hamilton's like our, I, I'm gonna I gonna no yeah I I understand what you mean and I I don't even think you even need to explain it I think our viewers understand what you mean too I hope so I mean and I'll say this because one of the reasons I'm thinking I have to leave here for a little while is that I've got to join fellow New Yorkers I need to join you guys and fight back somewhere that I can and I I understand, trust me, I, I get it, you know, and for, for us to, to leave, it was easily one of the most difficult things I think we've ever done. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I was talking to you, and there's another New Yorker who's on St. Petersburg where I'm looking, it was you guys and him that made me realize, I'm I, if I can find a way to keep this place, because I own it, like, I know, and be able to go back and forth, at least, to, you know, I'm worried about my family, my parents, you know, here. But if I don't find a way to create something that is a is a chastisation of what's happening here, right now, they win. But could you? I, I can't even. I can't even conceive of the fact that I've barely seen any art. I mean, now that the, the most of the, a lot of the art that was coming out of New York, like I, I owe it to like so many of the black artists who have been making work saying, you know, stop this, stop this. And if I, if I have the, if I have the somehow ability, because I don't have kids, let's say, or I don't have a husband, which is another one by myself, it's just me. If I can't realize that I, I, I can't find a way to use that to your nothing to, lose, yeah. to fight for this place. Like we're in, we're in a similar position, you know, as I know, I know. That's, we, that's we exactly have- why. We don't have kids. We don't have families that were like, well, we have families, but. Well, listen, that was one of the reasons the gay community was actually so important to the arts was because of that. Yeah, it gave it gave us the ability to kind of express ourselves without as much to, as much to lose, you know. And, and well, and yeah, and, and also, you know, your work was your kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? It's like that legacy of leaving something on. And I gotta tell you, that's part of it now too, is that I'm a woman. So in my 40s. So these two years have a cost, a very high cost. Yeah. Right. And there's a part of me that's like, 
no, the, I'm going to, I have to, I mean, not just like wanting a legacy, but also with what's going on with kids and vaccines now, what, what's happening. Something, I, as a, a woman, said, like, something needs to be done and people like us are, are in a better position to do that than others. And, and we're, almost, we're almost responsible to do it. That's exactly what I'm saying. That is your responsibility. I mean, that's one of the things there's. Because we see, if we see yeah. and we turn away yeah. when we had the oh, ability okay. to do and say something, then we we are complicit in this. We we are equally to blame. To blame there know? is a poem that I know because you're a fellow poet that you have to look at called The End to Tolerance. Because when I, I read that, it talks about just that thing, exactly that. And saying there's one verse that says, tolerance what crimes are committed in your name. Yeah. Right. I'm going to read a poem actually from the Manhattan Palms. And oh, you know, when, when the lockdowns happened, you know, Caitlin, who's Brent's sister, and me as artists, our, our first thought was to make art. That was immediately I, what we did. Totally. You know, as soon as it happened, you know, and I, I couldn't go to my job anymore and all that stuff, I'm like, I, I need to be, I need to put another book together. And aren't you so shocked that not, there wasn't a, like the, all the artists who kept saying, oh, it's okay that we can't, I'm like, how can you be okay with this? Frauds. Like frauds. I mean, frauds. I had not made anything. It's all I could do. I mean, I I've taken like I've been working on the business side. All I could do was keep making things and not even cared whether or not anyone liked it. I couldn't stop because it was like they're frauds. And the ones who made work and didn't comment on any of this stuff or made work supporting this, they're all frauds. They're not. Oh real. God, there was I, I couldn't even I could not even understand that part. Yeah. Like that, that level of that. And then chastising the ones who did, like the, the people who went after Eric Clapton and. Yeah, shame on them. Shame on them is right. I mean, what they've been doing, as far as I'm concerned, is they've, they've squandered their keys to their kingdom. Yeah. And this is the thing that's a little bit that they don't get. And, I, and I'm, and I'm going to, you know, you're not supposed to maybe, you know, um, uh, you know, show your punches or whatever it's called, like whatever. They have no idea what they've awoken. Yeah. They really don't know. Because you've taken a bunch of people who were willing to have them hold the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, because a lot of them, if they were creating great work, it was okay. Now, now you, you, you're, you're going to, you're going to claim that it is all right that, that fellow artists and 75% of Black New Yorkers cannot go to the Met. Yeah, our cultural... Like, I'm so sorry, but... The minute you do that, deals off. Like I have, I have nothing to say to those people. I and that's what this. We, after you read yours, I'd love to share that into Thomas one because that's what she's. she's well, uh, on this note too, there, there's a friend of mine. I, I won't name him because he's kind of on the down low about this stuff, and and he's from Elizabeth, and he's a brilliant painter, and he he is now planning on on leaving Escape. the city and, and escaping, and you know he's a teacher. He knows the mandates are coming and he refuses to bow down to this anymore. And he can't. And part of it is, is his art is the reason he feels the need to leave because he feels like he can't properly express himself here. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Censorship so, is, you know, self-censorship is the worst thing. And people don't, my mother who lost her father to the gulag, she would say, self-censorship, there's nothing worse. And like, that's why Iwai, you know, Iwai, the, the, the Chinese artist, you know, he says, you have to understand this. This is this is the most egregious thing that was going on in China. He used to call it. He calls it um, killing the chicken to scare the monkey. Yeah, like, it's crazy. There is nothing worse. That's what YouTube is doing. They they totally nuked my solo channel. Yeah, because no, the censorship wasn't self censoring. The censorship <laughs> thing I think is probably the most important 
issue right now to tackle because you you can't even resist the mandates resist the lockdowns resist the masks resist these things if you can't openly express what's going on you know and they want to bury us push our voices out of the conversation listen there's some things that have improved like i gotta say like i've seen a lot of you know one of the reasons i've I've, there's certain things that are improving in, in, in some respects like i mean facebook's gotten outrageously terrible Oh yeah, same with the way that we met, like even as bad as YouTube may be in certain things, like here we are, right? And so, but here's the, but for now, but you know what, for now is, is better than nothing, right? I can remember what we've got, the people of the last century would have killed for, right? Very true. And also, you guys are in Florida, of course, now, like there are here, any mom, like, and I listen, I understand, I, I'm just talking about, like, let's say there's not a conflict between the parents, right? Let's say both parents agree that a kid should not be masked. Then any parent waiting for permission to unmask their children, no. You like, lost the writing, yeah. You have to just, I mean, I asked my mother, I said, you know, would you have allowed me to wear a mask? She's done, absolutely not. I said, why? Because <laughs> you're my child, and it's, no. That's the thing, it's like, these are your children. You are the one who has to do that because look what's coming next. I mean, people who think, I, I read somebody like um, Matthew Iglesias like wrote that, you know, he's implying that he's against vaccinations, but he's more against his child being held in quarantine. So you're telling me that the abusers, you're hoping will stop abusing your child if you comply? Right. That's madness. I mean, historically, like, you know, the, 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 there's the tactic here, using children to scare the crap out of people. And they did that, the Soviets did that throughout Europe. And it wasn't, you know, the Hungarians stood up and fought back, but not everybody did. And if you look at the footage of like 1956, there are women standing there like armed saying, you know, you just rolled over, they rolled over kids with tanks. That's what they did. Like to, to scare people into compliance. And the Hungarians like, nope. And, 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 and the thing is, is that, it's 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 madness to uh, you know and that, and so when you say like that the censorship is the worst thing because how can you i agree with you except for the fact that right now it's obvious that like the censorship has not made it so that people suddenly are are it, 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 what it did is that whole killing the chicken to scare the monkey mm-hmm. so it killed the chicken meaning doing one thing so people don't even remember why they're afraid because like, what's what would happen if parents stopped letting their kids wear masks? Look, a couple of times they may not be allowed to go to school, but as that built up, eventually the schools would have to alter it because they need the money. Yeah, if if more parents just collectively stood up to this shit and said, or even one at a time, and then like later, you know, people people will follow. Like, live not by lies, by Solzhenitsyn, right? Yeah. Like, do you, I, like I have a Solzhenitsyn quote on me. Uh, which That's one? Like, you can resolve to live your life with integrity. Let your credo be this. Let the lie come into the world. Let it even triumph, but not through me. Not through me. Yeah, and That's I got exactly this. What I'm about. That's I from got the this, this was symbolic because I got this tattoo on our first interview on this show with someone who was Mike Ryan of Anarchy Tattoo Studios in the Bronx. And besides Mac Public, Mac's Public House, they were one of the first businesses to stand up to the shit and to speak out against so we reached out we wanted to talk to him 
we did that interview and then I, you know, I also, I wanted to get a tattoo and do a second part of the conversation. So we recorded him tattooing me. It's on the channel too. And awesome. we continued our conversation as he was tattooing this on me. That's and, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm actually it was really symbolic to me. It was very important. It kind of it marked a turning point in my life that I, I am not going to let the lie come Good through me. me. Not yep, through me. It, it's, Yes, there's another, another translation where he says something like, the lies persist everywhere. The lies persist through all things, not through any help from me. Yeah. Like there's like several translations of it. And, and that's the thing is like, it's amazing that you did that because the moment all this started, I actually printed out Live Not By Lies. And I had it like on my wall. I would look at it every day for the beginning because I knew I could feel how hard this was. Yeah. Like I had to remind myself like why I wasn't going to pretend that masks made sense the way that they were discussing or that any of this made sense or that lockdowns made sense or that I, or that I was, that it was my obligation to assure other people's safety rather than preserving liberty. Like all this stuff that I knew was not going to be easy, but I had to remember, and I'm so glad you got that because sometimes, you know, I was alone here for, for months and months and I thought I was like, eh. if only the, we had a, uh, you know, linked up sooner, I think we could have definitely been a, a good support system for each well, other. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the thing is, is that I think that you have to remember all that's very intentional. I mean, they did, they, they, the lockdowns came through. They wanted to separate us. Yeah. The CCP or like we, we, I mean, that's the beginning of it. You know, you can see the history of the lockdowns came from there. Last time that was done was under Shakespeare's time. Like it was, it's a total lie that it was scientific. You know, Henderson, the doctor from, who eradicated smallpox was speaking out against it. Its purpose is what we are pushing back and stopping now, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I have to, if I to create a sort of, way that new yorkers can fight together it's what made us unbeatable before and if we have to like you know if we're in the middle it's like the new york diaspora right now it feels like right yeah yes right we've got to come together and, and i gotta tell you it's the new yorkers who are in florida like like the one who's in st petersburg and the few other people that i've spoken to that have not they have not given up on oh. our city oh we've been loud very loud and talking about that's the difference nonstop. between here and texas I think like a lot of people went to Texas who are just like, well, more, more people for sure. I think from California ended up in Texas, but yeah, a lot of New Yorkers, I think. made. I that think that there's also, you know, this whole idea of secession and stuff like that, but most of all, yeah. the Cubans and the Venezuelans, I'm half I think there's an element. I'm sorry. I'm half I'm Cuban. My mom's Cuban. Yeah. So then you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, I completely understand. I mean, Castro, need to go- Castro took her father's land, took his farm. Yeah locked him up, you know, for feeding people without their permission. And she was in the womb while all of that was happening. And she has so we know. Palsy. Look, right now, Brent and I, people like us, I, it feels like we're political refugees. And it's, it's bizarre to say that because I never thought that that would happen in a country like this. But that is exactly what this is. And, and, and my friend who's in St. Petersburg, I know I said to him once, I said, you guys are one election away. One election. And that's why he said, we need to fortify the state. And I realized he's right. Yeah. Like, like, I have to, like, when he said that, I was like, because there's some other states that are, they're willing to fortify their state and say goodbye to the country. And that's not going to work. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's, people forget how history is, is that, you know, the minute they do that, 
if this continues, they're they're next because by design, this stuff requires total compliance. Mm-hmm. And so it's also what are they, you know, we're Americans. I'm an American here. I'm not a, you know, the idea that America can look at what's going on here and say, no big deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, what people forget too is that historically the reason we view ourselves that way now so much is because the country ripped itself apart at one point before the american civil war people viewed themselves as new yorkers first virginians first pennsylvanians first new jersey new jerseyans first americans second After, after the civil war that mindset radically shifted and people started to view themselves as americans first new yorkers second new jerseyans second but i would say though too is that you know when you read washington squirrel just like hamilton you know we were talking about hamilton before this um in the thing he wrote you know new jersey elizabeth all that stuff yeah he george washington made it very clear he said you know do not let anyone make you doubt the importance of your union so it was both you would be yes. the, the you so i was a, like i was a new yorker because i'm an american you, you understand what i'm saying I like do, I do. and so now you know the american in me is saying i've got to go and find my kindred so that we can fight back because art is going to be the thing like art i don't think that people fully understand that it's you know it was you know artists and who both will usher in the worst things and stop them yeah and also now we're in this time of like a fifth generational war which you mentioned earlier where you where it's not really you don't fight with guns and bombs as much as you fight with ideas Ideas, and and words and language it's also our responsibility to record what's happening right now to bear bear witness to bear witness and make sure it doesn't get forgotten listen i'm i when i get to florida and like even to visit i'm gonna hug you guys because you have no idea how wonderful it is to hear people say that because i've been sitting here half the time being like Rome forgot what aqueducts were. Yeah. And yeah, yeah people, people don't realize just how quickly society could disintegrate and all of the things that we can prevent. Because of your family history, I think we have this sort of generational and in our bones, we know what could come. I don't think people understand losing this is not an option. It yeah. can't even be, it, it cannot happen because. And I love to hear, I'm sorry for you because I want to hear the poem because people don't get, we're in a soft totalitarianism right now. Soft. I call uh, it diet totalitarianism. Call it what? Diet totalitarianism. It's like totalitarianism uh, light. Well, it's it's only light because places like Florida, you got like, it, this, I was thinking about this before we spoke, right? What's, you know, there's this whole idea of mass formation that was formed by like a lot of the propaganda. But then I realized that that propaganda has been infiltrating places like Texas and Florida, especially oh, yeah. as much as here. But why has you, have you guys not fully complied? And, and it's not just DeSantis. There's other elements that I think people talk, think about. I think that the Cuban and the Venezuelan community, because they knew they were like, okay, first of all, right away, there's something going on. Secondly, the masking. I really believe 
has had such an impact that people don't realize because it's like a ritual. You know, you you cover your face, you put that on it, you're donning the the, the statement that I've I am being a good citizen, and, and it's not even you're not even thinking it through that that irrationality repeated sort of like over and racing. over again. You're also sort of like erasing your identity. Mm-hmm. You're and you're you're making yourself appear like everyone else. And there's this idea that you're doing it for the collective good, yeah, the greater good. And that all is- seeps in it all. It's all like, you know, very like it's, it's nonverbal and it's behavioral and it's easily mimicable. And that's the thing about the arts is that we know that there's an element of this stuff that is, you can't explain it in a peer review paper. You can't explain it in a, like, that's one of the things that I tried to do with that dancing nurses video is said, listen, can I prove this? When people, a few people that got upset, they're like, you know, you're being upset about the fact that they're, you know, just letting go and having fun. No, I'm not. I'm actually really not. Yeah. But I am propaganda saying, and I'm going to call it what well, it is. I mean, one of the things I want to say often now is like, I'm trying to come up with a uh, sort of a rebuke of this because now is all the nurses have been fired, right? And I have this working title, like essential, thinking about it, like what what really has been going on there? Because suddenly now the people who could be essential, now they've not gotten in line. So they're not allowed to find joy, find movement, find connection, find all of these things. And there's this clear sort of, that's why they, you know, you can't go to live. Like, they don't want those of us who are not complying, whether it's something like me who cannot, I couldn't comply even if I wanted to, right? Which gives a whole other like craziness part to it. But when you realize like, if, if we had said two years ago, that children right now are their parents are being told that they do not belong, their children do not belong to them. Would we have ever believed it? That we were masking children while adults weren't masked? Like, I don't think we would have believed this was going on. Like, it, it, it's, it, 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 and it happens in this. I mean, I mean imagine you know, the people who are going to go see Hamilton right now, right? And they hear people singing that line, you know, raise a glass to freedom, something they can never take away, no matter what they tell you. And I can't go into that theater. Right. And Emmanuel just gave a, he looked honestly like he was being held hostage at the drama bookshop with this, whatever his politics aside, with this looming de Blasio looking like the bozo and idiot that he is right behind him and and limited manual was saying that masking and vaccinations was worth it because it's worth having Broadway I'm like I, I, I'm like no wrong yeah wrong no. <laughs> the price you're asking people to pay like now what actor is going to stand on Broadway and see people in the audience and not realize what's going on I mean it's What's happening with Broadway is I don't know if it will come back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and like, I'm hoping so, but it's going to take artists, like the ones, especially the more of the ones who have a lot to lose. And I and I and I sympathize, man. I sympathize. The fact that I can't step foot to a theater or a museum, I mean, it hurts so much. But. What really hurts is seeing people you know, your quote unquote friends and family who got the shot, 
just flashing that pass and, and going into those events and, and, and they're totally, they're fine with it. It's like, it doesn't bother them because it's not affecting them. And they don't realize yeah, even, that every yeah. time they flash that pass and go even into those was. places, they are supporting the segregation of their friends and family. Exactly. They're saying, and I agree with this, even if they don't. Or I'm going to get, I'm going to tolerate it. I'm going to, or I'm going to do this yeah. because, and, and that's the thing is people ask me like, why don't you get a fake one? I'm like, because it's, that's basically just postponing something. I mean, I'm not going to make it easy. And, and here's the crazy part too, is that I'm already invisible. Like I realized something, I tried to go to something because I honestly thought I could. And when I was kicked out of it, I have to find the courage to take that risk and be seen and have people, because they, I, we don't exist in that world now. Right, we've been but, unpersoned. You know, and the scariest part of that is that I know that if it was up to some of these people, they would forcibly vaccinate me. Yeah. I know that. I, and I my, agree with you. I think some of them would, if they could, would love to force that needle into their arm. And for heart. me, somebody like me, that means chronic, terrible pain and, and death. Like that's the reality for me. So when I know that- just, And not just you, like there's- I know there's others like that, but- the risks of the shots are, are being vastly understated. Like there was a video that I saw where somebody yeah. had a compilation of all these soccer players that were oh, yeah. healing over on the field that have died. And these are men like in their twenties and thirties. And it was, an, it was sick. I, mean, I think it's yeah. the, the Astro World event that happened recently. And, oh, that. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and they're trying to say that it was. They, you know, they're trying to say, oh, it was just people getting crushed and suffocated. That is not totally what was happening there. Not I saw a video of a kid not being crushed, not suffocated, plenty of space around him in the crowd on the ground seizing, basically having a heart attack. Young kid, you know, that that kid wasn't crushed. So listen, so whatever something like, else was work, going on there. I don't care what anyone There's a lot going on. I mean, listen, I used to work in nightlife in New York. And so I was I was actually hired for um, one of the biggest nightclubs in New York at, at the time uh, to basically help them deal with the fact that they had, they had some deaths. So I was brought in to try to like get the drug use under control and to get the, you know, all that stuff and, and to help them fix this problem. And so when I'm looking at that, so even if there was drugs involved, if there was, or let's say vaccine, the thing that happened in there was so irresponsible on so many levels. Like there was, a, you know, even the, the way you got the way that you know people have to know like the some of the the language that was used in terms of like you know the signage that said you know who's going to survive i mean all that stuff after a certain period of time you realize that you've got a, a you know this is a crowd you're dealing with but even scarier is that nobody managed the crowd and people think that like a crowd is really different a crowd at a concert when they are really into what they're you know like look at live aid with queen you know you can get a crowd like to do pretty much anything at that point yes. what they did is they is it really any surprise that after everything we've seen and gone through, like the riots, right? Those, those, those kids that were banging on cars, right? And, and acting surprised when a car would roll over them potentially and kill them. Like they, they, they forgot what basic physics was, right? And then on top of that, when we forget what bodily autonomy is, you know, when we start treating people like they are not people, that it's a crowd, like you're, you're going to collect it, there's a repercussion to that kids hear that kids suddenly don't look at a body like a person who's not feeling what well. their body in their head they're like oh it's your fault 
It's a, it, we're, we're, what we're teaching right now. It's a bystander so effect. It's a bystander effect too. They figure, oh, well, some, someone else will help them. Someone else will but, do something. But, but even when that happens, the fact that they did this and there was no, the, the way the security wasn't done right, you know, he, there's all this, and now they're trying to make it look only like it was the artist's fault. Well, that's not possible. There are and, and multiple I, faults in this. There's many faults in this, but I'll tell you, I'm convinced that this was not, that this was a feature, not a bug, because what will happen from things like this is less people gather. There might be laws that get put in place. Everybody's trying to talk about this. Oh, it was satanic. Da, da, da. Suddenly artists start getting quieter. You know, there's a whole ramification of things that happen. And the truth though is, is that when you deny ritual, by ritual, I don't mean anything like Abracadabra, Hocus Pocus, religious. Ritual is just ritual time, ritual space, ritual action. Just the three things that make up a ritual. So I can be going to sport, like sports are a ritual. Marriage, of course, you know. I, I, we had, there's so many of them. Well, it's interesting and it was interesting marriage too, because there was a recent extreme propaganda piece in the Atlantic about this guy who went to a wedding and he got COVID. I saw that, I read that. Yep. I have it oh. printed out right now. That was oh. high grade propaganda. You like, want to describe it really quick for. Well, yeah, audience. I mean, I can just pull it up too, but it yeah, was. I it. Like, it's hilarious because I, I, I printed it out because there was. I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the Atlantic is known for its, you know, what they did and historically they've done some pretty screwed up things, but yeah, they're very, it's, uh, it's much like the Washington post and that it's an extreme source of propaganda. But, but have you noticed that what they're trying to propagandize is testing. That means I think that testing has fallen back. And so test without testing, you can't continue all of it because testing is necessary to show like right, the rates and plus the people who tend to get tested are the people who are the most afraid of COVID. Right, exactly. Then, you know, and you get tested over. There, I think one of the good news, a piece of good news here is I think this shows that it's it's starting to fade a little bit. But um, one of the things he says is that um, that was it, that he was so like even though he's fully vaccinated that he was afraid that he would get COVID. Now, here's the thing that's insane why is he afraid of getting it yeah like and we can't talk about certain things but if the people who keep talking about saving lives we know there's there are things people can do and there are things that should be done that avoid hospitalization and death yeah, preventative right. measures. Getting back right. to normal. But also awesome. treatments, like yeah. treatments, even here in New York. I mean, like, listen, we if we were really talking about that, I mean, these these are people who would rather not ever return to life and live completely safe. And safetyism is a, is a, is an ideology. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna step away for a quick second and go tinkle and let you guys. Sorry, and I want to hear your poem. I'm sorry about that too. No, no, it's fine. I mean, how many how many freaking tests did this person have in this thing? It was insane. Yeah. I, so I've Brent and I have actually managed to go this entire time without getting never it. either. We are virgin. Me neither. Test virgin. Me too. Not me too. I mean, I had I did have an anti like a, a blood test for anti because I have O negative blood. 
Um, so I wanted to see if I had the antibodies to be able to, to donate. I'm curious but, too, actually, with that. So well, the, I mean, listen for me. It, there's now uh, you have to go. I have. To, I really want to get my what the, the T cells and B cells, the memory test, because mm -hmm. remember the antibodies only last for a few months. But um, or, or where, and whenever you're exposed, really, even if you're exposed, that's the crazy part. Every time you're exposed, you get the, the antibodies come back. So basically, in a lot of cases here, I bet you those tests are actually testing that rather than, you see what I mean? It's like this vicious the, cycle. The goes tests, on and and, tests are and also, and Brett and I oh, have talked about that on the show. People thought, like, the, the people who just bought the testing company that are making a fortune. I mean, the, it's this thing, like one of the things, like, what is it? In communities where ignoring the pandemic is the norm, COVID testing may not be the standard. And even when testing takes place, the required isolation and quarantine procedures are sometimes ignored. As I have found, you really are on your own to set the limits of what you do. And given requirements and difficulties of isolating, I can imagine that few people are willing and able to follow the letter of the law. Yeah. Tell me, tell me you're scared of freedom without telling me you're scared of freedom. Oh my God, there's no one to tell, tell me, me what to do. Tell me, tell me that you are you are nuts. Like, totally nuts. Totally nuts. These people are deranged. They're insane. I mean, honestly, this was the case. damaged. Listen, are they having like this is what I would love to know. If somebody somebody asked me about my vaccination status, I was like, well, what's your chlamydia status? <laughs> Did you get your pap smear recently? Hmm? No, I mean, oh, your documentation. if we're all into like shoving Q-tip stuff things, go get your chlamydia test, babe. Get yeah. a shove a, you know, Q-tip on your wee-wee, but you know, if I've got to shove it all the way up my nose, you shoving it up your wee-wee seems fair to me. Yeah, the answer to all of that is none of your fucking business. Right, that's right. I mean, that was one thing that somebody said is like, I think that the, the biggest mistake a lot of people made, including myself, was sharing vaccination. The one thing we should do, I think, is when people ask, none of your business. Yeah, well, it's too late for me. The cat's out of the bag, so I just, I'm very adamant at this point, and I tweet about it all the time. It, 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 it helps the people who, even if you are vaccinated, let's say, if somebody says none of your business, it's actually a really smart thing. That yeah, yeah, no, I just to hear that. I agree. I'm still like, I'm never getting those shots, guys. Suck my nuts. I look, in general. Listen, now I got to tell you, especially with everything, I mean, imagine the, the fact that these people are, are the way I'm being treated. I, there's no way. I mean, I'm, I, I do not trust this now. I mean, there's the idea. It's a matter of principle now. Right. And, and the thing is, is that so is the tests. Like getting tested is a matter of principle now. Yep. Masking, I have not really worn a mask in months. That's a joke. Yeah. At all. Look, you just need to refuse. People need to refuse this shit. If it's required to do this or that, don't do that thing. Sacrifice it. I know it's hard. And I know, you know people need we need our pleasures and our and our enjoyments and stuff. But just if a place is going to require these stupid protocols to attend an event, you need to just suck it up and say, fuck it. I'm not giving them my money. I'm not giving them my time. And maybe if more of these places felt that pressure, they would all collectively just say, well, we can't enforce this anymore. We can't afford well, this is like here, though. What's scary is that they, they feel that if they don't, you know, especially in our neighborhood, they've already suffered so much, right, that they won't, you know, they're so scared. I get but, it. I get it. But I, it's, it's really I mean, it's hard like, now to sympathize with the businesses. Oh, no, no. And I, and I listen, I don't I'm not sympathizing with them. I mean, when I tried to go into Rise just to see. Because I mean, that was the first place I showed my letter to, and I have, a, I have a letter from my doctor making clear. I figured that a place like Rise, that it might have been a place where, with the lead, like with the history of the gay community, that they would 
read my letter and they would say, of course you can come in, but my letter's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. That's where they said to me, you can come in and use the bathroom. Wow. It was so gross because I mean, honestly, that's like, I was so much part of the world that was pushing against any sort of segregation of HIV AIDS, you know, people like at all, like, you know, really making sure that these people went on and all this talk of dying alone and all that crap. I mean, what more than anything, in many ways, the push for civil unions and gay marriage had a lot to do with assuring that gay men were not dying alone. Yes. I mean, I, I'm not just saying that it's a, even if it was women, that it was a different case and it was a nothing to I, I held the hand of two gay guys that were dying, like as they died, because I managed to find a way to pretend I was like they're one of their like I could pretend they're a family when, when a lover couldn't, and I, I did that. Yeah. And so this notion that like these same people who walk around wearing who would wear red ribbons, the Tony Awards, all of this stuff here in New York of all places, it's un it's unforgivable. It's absolutely unforgivable. And and anybody who Anyone who, how, like Terrence McNally died in the beginning of COVID. And sometimes I wonder, you know, when Larry Kramer died, COVID, Terrence McNally died. I, you know, some of the other playwrights who haven't, who are around, who I probably are just afraid of cancellation, which I can't entirely blame them. But at a certain point, you know, like Lynn Emanuel just did something with, for, for Larson about like the guy created Rent. Yeah. And I looked at this and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Grow a fucking spine. I feel like I feel like what has happened is that they 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 crossed this bridge that is almost the only way that they're gonna come back from it is we're gonna have to make art that, you know, today I I I was looking at a man for all seasons. Like would a man for all seasons be created today? Would the crucible be created today? Of course not. Not, not from these people. So right. we've got to do it. Like we've we've got to be the ones. Oh, did we lose her? She's stuttering. Maybe she'll be back in a second. She's frozen. She's frozen. Oh no. Might not be. Insane. Oh. Give them a give them a little breathing room to say someone is there. Like I, I listen, they might all be insane. I don't know, but I do. I'm, I sympathize with their fear a bit because if I don't, it doesn't give them the opportunity for the few that might just be afraid and listen shunning is no small thing it, it makes you think you're dying like that's the way the human body reacts first time freaking scary you get over it especially when you suddenly realize there are people that by by principle will never cancel you just by principle and that's and that and, and if you think about that it doesn't mean like as a woman i'm not saying that if somebody does something egregious that it shouldn't be dealt with of course i should be but yeah, but accountability, accountability is a different thing to me than... Well, but, but, but here's the thing, though. Let's look at where we are. I mean, I'm now being told that I do not have the right to say no to something being put into my body. Yes, it's rapey as... It is, no, it's not just... It is rape. I mean, I, and I know this sounds... It sounds really hyperbolic, but more and more women have been saying this lately. Yes, yeah, I am a rape survivor. I never said anything during Me Too. I never said a word. I would love it if Me Too became our phrase for coercion into against bodily autonomy. Do you feel coerced about this and threatened if you don't get a vaccine? Me too. Why not? Because it's it, it, if, we, if, they, if they would dare to politicize our bodies then, and they, then you know what? Great, let's use it. Let's use that thing that they lied about and they pretended it had one meaning. And let's remind them, like if you're gonna say 
this is not allowed. You know, if you're going to say we can't have coercion, if you're going to say consent matters, then fine. Let's let's eat your freaking words. Because I got to say that I, I have never been so angry as a woman. Like I, I, I've never thought this way. Like I've never been a person that would say, what is happening here? Like, I mean, between that and this idea that, this idea that my body, my choice matters more for abortion than this is juvenile. That is the stuff of children. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And right? think about how abusive relationships work because that's what we're right now. We are in an abusive oh, relationship with the state. You know, this is how they work. Um, that's actually, that's you're, going, you're going to let me put my thing into you and inject my DNA into you. And you, have a, choice. you have a choice. You can say no. But I'm or you're fired. Off. I'm going to cut off your salary. You can't see your friends. You can't do can't this. Go to museums. Yeah. Can't go to like, museums. Listen, I, I feel like, look, for me, the moments that I've had where I thought, gosh, I wish I, you know, if I maybe, maybe when the Novat, you know, when the Japanese one comes in, I'll take, I got to say that, I mean, imagine being in New York. I mean, it's why you left. I get that, the mental health thing. I have, if I have a bad day, I can't, I, I can't think, oh, I'm going to go look at, I mean, we're in New York for this. So I, I can't step into the MoMA. I can't walk into the Guggenheim. I can't go look at the, I can't go look at the Rodin's in the Met. I can't, it's so wrong. And, and these are for me, like, I'm sorry, I'm crying, but for me, I mean, I didn't even realize how much it hurt because for me, it hurts me too, man. It really hurts Look, me. The Metropolitan sure. Museum is one of my favorite places on Listen, earth. I'm sure for you, like even hearing me talk about it, it hurts. Like the idea hurts. The thing though is, is that I'm not a religious person, but I do, I have a relationship with God. And I will tell you that the place where I have my relationship with God is in the arts, it's in the theater, it's in the museums, it's where I feel that. And that is something that is just, I can't, I know it even more now because the idea that, you know, there was this very quiet protest recently in New York that was being run by a, a woman. Like, no one had thought of this, and I saw it. I missed it. I didn't get to go, but there was this woman just, <laughs> hey, Maxine, come here. This woman <laughs> did, <laughs> let me just grab her because she's upset I that, that I'm upset. I was like, yours are rare since you're was No, it's, it's they, they are literally forbidding us from accessing our heritage as human beings on this planet it is our heritage and they're saying you are no longer human enough to access it because there you've not injected yourself there is an exhibit in the met right now and there's this one thing if i can find it let me see if i can find it and i'll share it where they dare say um this thing that says who's an american <laughs> i saw this image and i got so angry because I, it's from the it's it's from the Met Gala because it's called it was called in America the the Met Gala thing. I, the, when you walk in there, I can't find it right now. But there's this one what's left over from the from the Met Gala thing. It, it it hit me just how egregious it is that it was called the the the, the, the Met Gala's theme was America, and then. There's this thing where they, it's like part of the Dior exhibit where this woman's with this, this mannequin's wearing who is an American. And I can't go in there. They're telling me I'm not. Yeah. And, and you know what? Our families, we know better than that, right? Like, you know, I know. Her heritage knows. Like, when they start to do this, no, I, I absolutely not. And the, and the thing is that 
anybody who doesn't get this, like any excuse ah. that people make at all right now, I'm sorry, is wrong. Yeah, it's, we shouldn't tolerate it. Radar. We should not tolerate it. And Radar. Yeah. But artists who are tolerating this, artists who are making any excuse, I mean, this is going to sound really extreme when I say this, and I, and I know it does. No, we know. They're going to have to answer for this one day. Like, I mean, this is the kind of thing where even if it's when they're old and gray and they're lying there and they realize whether they're successful or they're not successful. I mean, this pains me because somebody who's really talented, like Lizzie Lin-Manuel, do I think that he, what he's doing is right? No. Do I think that, do I think that he's not part of, that there's not a part of him that's, that's shocked that he's doing that? There's got to be because there's no way that he could have worked on that production and not have a voice say to him, I am not letting Americans in here. How come? Like, and, and, and like 75% of Black New Yorkers, 75% yes. cannot go in there. And, I, and I'll tell you, the, like the, I hate protests, but I've been going to them here. And there was one that was in front of Carnegie Hall. And this one, you know, I, I, I graduated on that stage. I got to play there. Now you're not allowed inside of there anymore. Well, I mean, I was a little kid and I did a little concert thing there. And, 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 and you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Get vaccinated. What? Nuts. And then at this event, it was Kamala Harris, Al Sharpton doing this event for some community thing. Like, I mean, it was hypocrisy at the highest level. There was all of these Black, black, like all dressed to the nines with their like fit, you know, with the masks that are like covered in rhinestones that clearly don't, you know, do anything. And all of these Black American New Yorkers protesting, saying, hello. And, and, I, and I, I spoke to one guy and I said, how does it feel? Like I said, I'm, I'm just going to ask you, I've not seen this many Black people ignore, like not fighting for you guys. Like, how does that feel? And he goes, it's really sad. It's really sad. Hey. They're fighting. But I'll tell you, seeing that in front of Carnegie Hall, like, it's worse. Yeah, when, when no, like, people need to call this what it is. We need to use the word, and we need to stop dancing around it. This is segregation. It is, right? and it's not just it's rape. It's, I mean, it is. It is. It's. It's all the things that are so terrible, and it's also, it's 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 promoting and permitting democide is what it's doing. And that's the truth. That certainly where it seems to be heading. Well, it's already started. Yeah. It is. Like, I mean, if we think about People it. People are like, dying. They are dying. And not, and I just mean it around the world. Like, you know, if you if people think that people think that a lockdown, for example, everybody just Netflix and chills and you're in Cambodia. Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can give a personal anecdote about how lockdowns killed people because uh it it almost killed my father during during the lockdowns he had a massive tumor and growing in his neck that kept getting bigger and bigger and he could not get it looked at because he was being refused to have you know medical treatment because they wanted to keep those beds open for the large influx of covid patients that never showed up right and it wasn't until june of 2020 that he was finally able to get diagnosed and have treatment begin and then surgery. And even the doctor said that if, if it would have been just a little bit longer, 
he probably wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have survived. And, and you no, know, he's, he's, okay. he's fine now. Thankfully, he just had his last few checkups and he's, he's in the clear. He thankfully didn't need chemo. He went through radiation therapy and it was fucking hard, you know, like on, on me, on him, on my whole family. And just, I, I couldn't help but think how many people didn't make it in time did not get their cancer diagnosed in time and died because of that. You're not allowed to talk about these things. People but I, I mean, listen, I talk about it all the time. About I mean, that's one of the things like, you know, I've been, you know, like Mark, Mark, who was, you know, on this, this before I got Love Mark, Mark yeah. he and there's several other people like him from like, from the moment that I got into like, I have been with them like vocal about it because these are things we need to say. And I, and I, I'm being careful here because I don't want to have your channel have any problems, but one of the things that people can say, and I think it's really, if we can look at what happened here, we know that Cuomo killed people. We know that. That's democide. Cuomo killed people. Like democide versus genocide. Democide is when, you know, death by the government, like murder by the government. Mm -hmm. And then if we look at um, when they tried to deny your state from getting, you know, a treatment, what is it called? The, um, the, um, the, the monochrome, uh, what is it? Monoclonal Yes, when they tried to stop your state from having it, when they tried to block that, because yeah, they did murder. Say, that's democide. Yeah, that's democide. what that is. Exactly. I mean, if you also, you know, when you look at why India is is um, um, criminally put charges against the WHO, and it's actually if they're found guilty, that's going to be a capital offense. That's democide. Like they they they're flat out saying politicizing of this particular medication killed people. And refusing treatment to keep beds open for this huge projection of cases that well, severe cases and, that and, did not and, and many people when they went in there got the wrong treatment. Yep. Or no treatment at all. For a long well, time, I mean, there was there was the, the whole the official guidance was do we accept, send, do nothing. send them home until they can't, they absolutely can't yeah. breathe. And then right. you put them on the ventilators and they die. Right. Exactly. When they have, there are alternative treatments that do oh, yeah. work, and there are met, there are thousands upon thousands of doctors that are sitting there saying this. One and friend of mine in Pittsburgh, Florida, a Cuban immigrant, got to the hospital. He was on a ventilator for like eighty days. He survived. He did. Lucky. But that, in and of itself, like at a certain point, they know you do not ventilate a COVID patient. You don't do it. Like literally, you do not do that because it's it's like a rubber band, right? I'm sure, you know, you, you take a rubber band and you can always pull it, like, that's fine. But when you have a COVID patient, it, that rubber band it would get like hard and dry. It's when you pull it, it'll break. That's what happens to a COVID patient's lungs. Like you cannot do that. You cannot, it's not like COVID lung doesn't. And, and now it is not the protocol. It's you don't, you just don't. And I mean, there's still, there's still people. Like I know a girl's mother, a girl whose mother, like birth mother just died in, in Georgia because she went in there asking for the monoclonal antibodies and they put her, they admitted her instead and she couldn't get anybody there. She could still, she could speak. So she was able to consent to having the ventilator. She should not have done that. Cause if you could say, yes, I'll take the, you don't need to be ventilated. Like don't put somebody on that. The thing that where they have to, when the minute that they ended up, you know, repressing her, her breathing and they give her that benzo, that whole process, like what is it, like two percent of people with the ventilator came back, and they knew that they know it, and it's 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 murder. Like it is, it's well, one of and the I things don't... that people are really ignoring here, and 
we don't make a big step of that, but oh my God, COVID is just how many people die even before all of this from medical malpractice in this country. Oh, but, but also listen, the, the people who are dying too are a certain age group, right? People who are not contributing to society. You know, if people are infrastructure, like, you know, my, my family, my parents, your father, you know, this person's mother, if you're above 60, 65 years old, expendable. Yeah, totally. No, well, that's, what, what, that's equity. what happened to my father is why a lot of this is is very personal to me. I take of course. It personal. And, of course. And he he's lucky to be alive. You know, like I yes, said, if, if it would have just been a little bit longer, they would not have been able to tend to Let me grab this, I'm, this dog. But I mean, listen, I'm, I am so glad that your father is. And, and um, I know how I would feel like yeah and that, that's just the cancer that's not even addressing the fact that he already is has mental illness and just the exacerbated this took on his mental health and that's right. why I think the, the tumor grew to the point where it grew during the lockdown well, because we all we all know stress increases yes. the yes. negative impacts of cancer and it's not like they were, you know, trying to make everybody feel all safe and comfy over no, the television. No. They spiked everyone's cortisol levels. They yeah. locked them indoors. They denied them sunlight. They denied. I mean, if, if your dad is alone, is your dad, was he alone? He was not alone, thankfully. And if he was, uh, he wouldn't be here, I think. No, probably not. Probably not. Like, I mean, here's the thing is that the abandoning people, like leaving them, the whole thing is inhuman like it's this evil. is where this, it's evil. Artists, again we, we should be the ones like like un without apology without apology saying you can't find a better way if you cannot find a better way yeah. your way is not good enough like i mean seriously it's, it's it, it, let's say they did do the best that they could do which i don't believe they did but let's say they did and that it was all necessary to not acknowledge that it was a massive, massive, massive cost. That's, that's messed up, yeah, first of all. Second part is to not demand better, which is what, during the HIV AIDS stuff, everything that was going on was constantly demanding better, demanding more, demanding better treatment, demanding better medication, demanding not leaving patients to die alone, demanding allowing patients to be touched to have That's options the too to have all the options laid out on the table exactly. instead I mean, what they did was they for they forbade certain options and yes well, listen, listen people thought back then that the reason that gay men were being treated the way they were was because they were gay and one of the things that's really weird right now is i could say no i think that honestly what it is is there are some people that just really do not look at humanity as having any value period and Fauci is one of them yeah psychopath there's like well it's, it's interesting that you bring up the aids crisis too because there was a controversial use of orphan children as yep. experimental research subjects in the late 80s into the 90s yep. uh, and this didn't even come out until like 2005 and i think did you, you actually were you the one that sent me this article i was i think yeah, it's the New York State hearing. I get my dog to try to calm her down. Sorry, oh, but yeah, her, yeah, cuddle her, whatever. Yeah, but this uh, this whole thing is about you know children that they tested vaccines and medications on, and they tried to excuse it as saying that you know that these were you know potential life saving medications, and but the the actual investigation into it found that 
the there was no clinical benefit that these were like phase the guy who found that just recently you know he ended up dying um because he was he was he he left this he chose to leave this world because of um a chronic condition that he ended up having and i think about that yeah it's and well and it's disgusting because there was never really any accountability but it just goes to show that you know this crass disregard for human life is not anything new and and you know fauci was signing off on the funding for these research things too and it's it's unbelievable that he is still in a position of authority you know i think i know why i think i know why is i used to think it was just money um i recently learned that he actually ends up you know it doesn't matter who the person is and i if somebody in politics for example somebody in, in any kind of power has an illness, like a severe life-threatening illness. Like it just—I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody who was even on Trump's team. This happened. Like, if you—if they have a severe problem, he will take over their cases and like open up every single piece of red tape, like get it all through. Which is, you know, every there's always—I mean, imagine trying to deal with the red tape when you're really sick. He removes it all, and it's like right. what he did for Larry Kramer. I think is probably—I mean, I, by the way, I, out of respect to Larry, I, he's not here to speak for himself. He died. I can't say this for sure, but. You know, I did hear from one person that, you know, even said, I don't like Fauci, but he saved my life. I will never say a bad thing about him. Think about the brilliance and the sick, twisted genius in that. Yeah, it's psychopathic. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, people, you know, life-saving treatments or, you know, access to experimental treatments. And then especially once you know how dark that world is, it puts you between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, because like, it's not about you. What are your choices? Right, and I'll tell you, back in 2020, in the very beginning of this stuff, I very gently said, you know, listen, Fauci's not somebody we should just trust his judgment right away. I mean, his choices about like telling people that kids would transmit HIV/AIDS through casual or get to have a transmitted to them through casual contact led to more men dying alone, untouched. And see, and that's the thing too. This isn't just about saving lives like there's there's something that no one seems to remember there's also about there's ways you should not die better death i mean although that sounds weird to say it this way but the minute people were they were defending people dying alone or saying if you don't get vaccinated you die alone that was a clue that was a clue that there's something really really wrong really wrong because no one nobody and to and to use a fear of dying alone as some sort of coercion to get somebody vaccinated yeah. Well, in the beginning of the pandemic, that's what was happening to a lot of these people is that they were they were isolated from their families, they were sedated and put on ventilators and they were allowed to die alone. And or but even or even like they're told the threat of it. I mean, listen, I'm I I'm still traumatized from being by myself through all of this in the beginning, especially for those three months. I'll tell you, like you know, I was, I had a really bad cold recently, like a, like a neurovirus. I was nauseated and I was all by myself. And this notion of like that, that message of dying alone, just, it hit me. And I was so terrified. I was just terrified. And it's because they keep talking about it. A human being is going to do anything they can to avoid that. And that message coming from, 
it brainwashed the entire population yeah. to think this disease has like a death rate of something like 10 or 20 or 30 percent if you ask random people on the street they think that you know if you you've got like a one in three chance of dying if you catch covid when it's actually you've got like a one in like ten thousand chance or, or if you're not vaccinated they will they will treat you differently and they won't treat you i wanted to really quick i think we've read this on the show before but i think it's relevant here um you're familiar with carrie mullis he invented the pcr test yeah, and actually, and the one he, who, uh, who told who, who had nothing good to say about Fauci. Yes, well, I was actually going to read his statements about Fauci, but it's also interesting too is that he he died right before all of this happened, and I'm curious very, timing, very curious timing. But this is what he had to say about Fauci, and mind you, listeners, this is the guy who invented the PCR test, and he also said that this test is not supposed to be used to diagnose illness. He said that, and he said if you ran it for a certain amount of time, you could basically find anything in anyone. So you can, you can, you know, he won the Nobel for this. Yeah. Yeah. This is what he said. And yeah, I know he did psychedelics and he did all types of weird stuff and he was an outside the box thinker, but he was also a Nobel prize winning scientist. He invented the test that they are now using for all this bullshit. He said this, he said, quote, guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face, nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, he'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine, and he should not be in a, in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people, and they don't know anything about what's going on in the body. You know those guys have an agenda which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci does, not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. Well, and we saw that repeatedly throughout this pandemic. At first, you know, Fauci was like, oh, nobody get a mask because you don't need it. And then he was like, oh, everybody needs a mask. And then he was like, the, the flopping going back and forth. And then all the lies that were exposed by his emails where he basically knew up front that there was a large possibility that this pandemic originated in a lab that he had funded. And he was getting emails, which is what, you know, my sister has this coat where she printed out some of those emails. Put on that coat because it's fabulous. This is the thing, like, this is what I mean by artists, like, standing up. That, that, that's an amazing piece of art. And, like, it's fabulous. Like, that's the kind of thing that back in the day, I remember, you know, during the fight for HIV AIDS. I mean, think about this. Like, Well, Kate, Caitlin has been working very hard throughout all of this. Uh, I can't wait. I would love to meet her because it's making a art. And, and, and using it to resist this stuff, to shine That's a light bad. on it, to the absurdity of it all. You know, not just the lockdowns and the masks and all that, but uh, Epstein, uh, child abuse, you know. Uh, and one of the things in this email too that it says is that uh, you have a medical obligation to inform the world about the truth. And, uh, and the fact that it's a lab coat, I mean, that is a brilliant piece right there. I mean, listen, with what you said about Mullis, can I really- coat when I worked in a lab. Can I, can I share a little bit of what Larry Kramer said? In Go his for it, totally. Right? So back in, you know, the 80s, you know, Larry Kramer, you know, wrote this. Uh, and, you know, I, I mentioned Larry because, you know, politics, put, putting the politics aside, I mean, Larry is, is somebody that is, is heralded by many people as being 
you know, because he found it act up. But we have, a lot of people don't remember or know who he really like what else he did. So he he was ostracized in by many of the gay community because of two things. One was because of a book he wrote in the 70s, which um, uh, started with an F. Started with an F. Yes. The but I'm not I'm able to say on this, right? That I'm not able to say it's a, it's a slur. And he called it that. And it was his way of saying, like, he was warning, saying it, it, that, that this is not going to lead anywhere good. Then he also wrote two books called, you know, My My American Heart and uh, another one. And in it, he's, he's very critical of what's been going on. And he died in, in the beginning of all of this. And he was writing a play about COVID and AIDS. And you can't help but wonder what that would have been because mm. he... If you like, if you look at some of the even the last stuff he said about Fauci, they were not nice. But if you go all the way back, I mean, he said um, in this open letter, which was in the like Village Voice, he said, um, like, he said, well, let me see, um, how many years ago did we tell you? Oh, there was, I don't know, quote, um, um, we tell you what the good drugs are. You don't test them then you tell us to get them on the streets. You continue to pass down word from on high that you don't like this drug or that drug when you haven't even tested them. There are more AIDS victims dead because you didn't test drugs on them than because you did. Doesn't this sound familiar? ACT UP was formed over a year ago to get experimental drugs into the bodies of patients. For one year, ACT UP has tried every kind of protest known to man, short of putting bombs in your toilets or flames up your institute. To get some movement in this area, one year later, ACT UP is still screaming for the same drugs they begged and implored you and your world to release. One year of screaming, protesting, crying, cajoling, lobbying, threatening, impreciating, marching, testifying, hoping, wishing, praying has brought nothing. You don't listen. No one listens. No one has ears or hearts. Whose ass are you covering for, Tony, besides your own? Is it the head of your animal house, the invisible Dr. James Weingarten, director of the National Institute of Health, and maybe a Democratic president? Get him out of office fast. Is it, you know, he goes on and then he says, uh, I don't know, though it wouldn't surprise me if you kept quiet intentionally. I don't know, though it wouldn't surprise me if you ordered to keep quiet from higher up somewhere. You're a good lieutenant, like Adolf Eichmann. I do know that anyone who knows what you have known for three years, that to quote Ted Weiss, the dimension of the shortfall is such that you can't possibly meet our needs. And to quote the New York Times and their grossly incompetent AIDS reporter, um, I he's, uh, the officials blame shortage of staff for delay in testing AIDS drugs. I repeat, anyone who has known all this and denied it for the past three years is a murderer, not dissimilar to the good Germans who claim they didn't know what was happening. And, you know, this was, he was notorious for having a very dramatic like way of, you know, approaching things. But if you look at what he said even later, he's like, they was, were all, to know, to know that we are in a city that was the first state, like Fire Island in New York City before San Francisco, our history of this place with, with HIV AIDS, the Broadway Cares, you know, the Angels in America, like, 
the endless stuff, the number of bodies that there, I mean, even just talking about bodies, like in the beginning of this pandemic, when they were claiming that we were going to be burying, that they were burying COVID bodies in that, um, that island, which name I completely Rikers forget. Island. No, that's, no, not Rikers, that's the, the one, well, like, it's, it's one that is, is, it's uninhabited. That's where they actually bury people who are indigent and have no, nobody claims them. All the time. Didn't they bury prisoners there? No, it was basically anybody who didn't have, like, didn't anyone, yeah, but early on in the beginning of HIV AIDS, they were throwing in mass graves people there. And we know that. And then so when our assemblyman, when that guy who's uh, Levine is his last name, claimed that this was going on, how dare he? Like how how dare these people on the bodies of these people who were, I'm sorry, to be honest, like they were the, the, so many of the people we lost, they were like Adonises, they were like God, they were so incredible. Just the, the, the talent, like alone. And to not only forget every single thing that we, we had fought for, and I you know they had fought for, and, and I, I was just sort of there. Yeah. And to, 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 to completely, it is, it's so, like, it's one of the reasons why I am so angry with the New York arts community because. Don't you, you know better? Don't you remember? How how can Broadway like how can how can um, Dallas Buyers Club have been created, and people not remember? Not see the but, parallels. It's like I mean, just you know, Matthew McConaughey just announced he said he does not think that mandates for children is should be there. And you know what? It's it's not all the way where it should be. But thank God he said that because how can you shoot that film and honestly think that you can trust the FDA or the CDC on this one? It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And, and, and anyone who, who thinks that that's disinformation or misinformation, honestly, now you know what happened during HIV AIDS and why so many people died and what you would have done, what your role would have been. And, it's, and, and don't like anyone who's in the arts, anyone who's part of the LGBTQ community and who does not understand that, shame on you. Shame, yeah. like seriously. Agreed. It, it, it is, it, it, you know, and, it, and I'll be frank, it's almost not a surprise, you know, if you've got, people revising what happened at Stonewall, then of course, what happened with HIV AIDS is being revised. But I'll tell you this much, the black community doesn't forget this much. And they like right now they are so pissed off and there's a lot of things that happened in that community as well related to HIV AIDS that on, I, am, I am thrilled to see black Americans saying, I'm standing up in ways, I mean, I, I they have, there's there was a tweet I saw earlier where this mother who's insane was all excited about vaccinating her kid, and then she talks about how they're having a Nicki Minaj dance party. Bigot, bigot. Like, Hypocrites too, especially but, but she, the media did to Nicki after you know she chose to ask some questions about. God forbid you ask some questions. But yeah, if you're part of the establishment, they will turn on you too. You know they will. And that's the crazy part is because let me let me you know. When will this happen in such a way that it will impact you? I mean, do you, it's like John, like sorry, like John Adams, like Abigail Adams asked Thomas Jefferson, you know, she was brilliant. She was badass, right? And she eventually, was badass. she was amazingly badass. And she, I mean, our founding mothers were very much part of our country, very, very much. And she was, oh yeah, I mean, Adams relied upon her. She proofread oh, all of his letters and speeches and stuff, and and he, right. he consulted her on basically every important decision that he ever made. Totally, and and he and she and Jefferson were really good friends. And I would say that well, he, he was flawed too. You know, I think of the uh, oh, no, what yeah. happened.
the Alien and Sedition Act and, and stuff. Like Adams was definitely for censorship during his presidency. He was not he was not cool with the criticism okay, of the government. Yeah, but listen, look, the thing was is he was afraid of yellow journalism, yeah. which this is the funny part is that there's a letter between Abigail and Jefferson, right? And it was after Jefferson's love died, right? Which happened to have also been his wife's sister and also happened to have been his wife, wife's, his, the, the wife's sister was also a slave. That's where things get crazy. Like a lot of people yeah. don't understand this relationship there. But she, he really loved her. And when it was, when, when she died, it was like, she, he was writing again to Abigail, like kind of trying to get the Adams family to be friends again, you know? But before that, one of the last letters between the two of them, at, you know, at Jefferson is kind of, talking about what had happened during the, um, the, you know, the election and the presidency and all of that. And, you know, Abigail brings up all of the things that everyone knew that he did. And then he, she mentioned something saying that no one has talked about this one thing. And it, it's not even mentioned in the letter. Like, I will not utter what this was. Like, you, you, we still don't know. But then she says, did you think that the, the viper that you created would not have bit you too? And that's the question. Like, do they think really that the viper that they're creating is not going to turn around and bite them? Mm. Like, like it's, it's what it's what all man of all seasons asks that same question. Like, when they says in that play, he says, uh, "Would you would you give the devil the rights of the law if it was the devil, knowing that even you know the law could?" He goes, "Absolutely, because that's why it's for my own welfare. If we don't do that, then like that's I mean I was thinking about this during the Rittenhouse thing that's going on right now, right?" What people don't understand, and, and you know, they may be watching this and all they think is like racial or whatever, they don't realize that if things don't go well with this, it's on it, all of us are in big trouble. Like, yeah, we could lose our right to defend ourselves. We already have. Yeah, we, we have. Uh, it's getting there. It's That's already getting it like that. I mean, if you look at this, is the thing too that people don't understand with January 6th. You could be upset with what happened. Fine. But what, when will they turn and use that on you? Because they will eventually. They will eventually. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and that's the thing is, I mean, hopefully they won't because we're going to fight really hard and stop it and you know, we're going to win. But, you know, at a certain point, you're going to wonder if these people are going to ever say thank you. Some of them might, like, you know, you know, Glenn Greenwald and like there's some Matt Taibbi, like there's been some brilliant people that are on that side that kind of like, whoa, what the hell? But the people who are daring to think that somehow based on some ideology, that what they're talking about justifies any of this. Like what, nothing justifies this. nothing. No, I mean, it's crazy. like you and I, like our families, we know. Like when we when we try to tell people, you don't know what you're ushering in. You really don't know. But the sad part is, I think, and I'm realizing this right now is many won't realize until it's too late. It's already. I think we're there in many ways. Like people, especially here, and I feel it. Like they don't care. Yeah, well, and then that's where, that's why we aren't we're not a pure democracy because guess what, the majority doesn't necessarily know it's like the majority is not necessarily moral. That's yeah, very true. Do you want to read your poem? I want to hear the poem? Wrap it up. Yeah, I can read it. So well, we're a little over two hours. Yeah, I guess maybe we can end with this. So this this poem I worked on between April and May of 2020, right before this book came out. And it's interesting because the book is kind of a mixture of nostalgia, meaning 
my reflections and, and, and poems that I wrote about New York pre-lockdowns that I collected with some newer pieces that I wrote uh, while we were right in the midst of this at the beginning of it. But it's also kind of dated already because it was like it came out literally like a week. I published it like a week before the George Floyd incident and the, and the riots and the looting and the protests and all of that stuff. So it's, it's just crazy how much has actually happened since I put this book out that I still haven't even written and reflected on. But this poem in particular, I think, already kind of foreshadowed and shows that I knew where this was heading and that this was not going to stop. It was going to continue. Um, so it's called. I don't think you have a, an ability to put it on the screen for people to read along, right? Um, not right now. I'd have, I'd have to pull up the PDF and like find it. You know what? People but, can just listen and they can deal with it. I think, you know, visually, there's yeah. not much you're going to miss with this. And there's one part where I will flash it onto the screen where it's visually there's something important there, but it's called When the City Closed. <clears throat> Flocked to the supermarkets to fill up our carts. Panic has a funny smell. Wash your hands, sanitize, don't breathe. Panic has a funny smell. So close the schools, wear a mask, relax. That's how we walk around now. That Broadway turned off the lights, shut its doors, the Metropolitan too, even the bars, every concert venue. Unpredictable hand of fate slapping everyone's face, scaring us all into our homes. A media machine made to manufacture, take advantage of every situation every disaster for a story, for ratings, for distractions. And the super wealthy never waste a good crisis. We're all sick. We're all waiting. We're all sick of waiting. Grandparents heading toward the grave. Patients in hospitals always on the way out, forced to die alone. People hanging out of windows, smoking cigarettes, staring off into nothing, wondering what's actually going on with our lives, with our time, without our jobs, without routines, without any semblance of certainty. The screaming, clapping, blowing horns, banging drums at 7 p.m. every day. As sirens howl the sounds of sorrow, in a form of symbolic celebration we didn't all feel. I am a lover of nurses and honest nurturers, a detester of unquestioned authoritarianism. We heard it at the back of the apartment from one of the little backyards below, maybe two or three days in a row. A sad piano played on after it all stopped for a couple of songs. Strangers listened from their own windows on their own fire escapes, clapping with gratitude after each conclusion, perhaps because it wasn't celebration we felt. Disperse. Panic has a funny smell. No one likes it. The repercussions of what we're doing will outlast the smell itself. Disperse, disperse. Shame on you, stay inside. Desperate times ahead, people to care for, rent payments to make, more rapid inflation, printing all these fucking magic, all this fucking magical money as a band-aid for a gaping self-inflicted wound. Disperse, disperse, disperse. The cultural crucible 
closed until further notice. Closed without our consent. I don't recognize this place anymore. The wealthy start jumping ship. The poor are left holding the bag. The clapping and cheering seems to dwindle, yet still continues every day, like programming, like clockwork, a sort of spellbinding. As many others start to realize, we are being held against our will, and we're never allowed to say. Never allowed to question, never allowed, never allowed. Just clap. We're all in this together. We hope you're well during these unprecedented times. Please practice social distancing and stay six feet apart. Temporary to permanent. Time to close up shop. The tides are turning. As it goes on and on, the signs change. Closed for good. For your safety. Yeah, I wish the, we had... The sign here, too, when I put closed for good, what I did was I, it says... Closed until further notice, and I kind of crossed out until further notice. Yep. So it's, we it's saw those, that. That's yeah, exactly it's, one what of, we saw. it's one of those aspects where, like, you need to really see it too when you're reading, yeah. to kind of grasp that other layer of meaning. But you know, listening to it, I think it still has the same sort of impact. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I put the for your safety there in big bold letters, which is kind of a nod to uh, Brent's sister, actually, Caitlin, and her work. You know, she uses. This you old text and her stuff if you don't mind i think like especially because of what you just read i i would love to read the one about that i wrote about new york too if you do it. go for it because totally. like i just i'm thrilled to know that there was somebody else writing about this stuff after so yours i'll read one more that ends on maybe a more positive note to Absolutely. remind people yes i mean and i'm and i and i would i think i i love that you say that because i'm actually the same but like i always feel like it's our job as, as poets and as artists like Shakespeare always at the final couplet of every sonnet he gave hope like that's something that it, that's what you know it, it, somebody once said uh Eugenia Nasker said nothing makes me more pessimistic than the requirement to be optimistic and I get that but hope is not the assurance that things are going to go the way you want it's just as Buckle Havel said it's just the assurance that things make sense yeah so, so this one's called um if we were animals if we were animals, people would gaze at their screens and weep at images of our once vibrant and diverse ecosystem, now barren. Pop stars would sing sad ballads while the image of glassy, longing, memory-filled eyes gazed back, a number rolling on our touch-starved bodies, promising the chance to care, just a phone call and a few dollars a month away. Children would draw us as stick figures, sad-eyed and alone, while watching puppets pull empathy out of their bellies like pumpkin pulp. Then, pinning us proudly to refrigerators, parents gazing down with mouths proud as jack-o'-lanterns. If we were animals, conservationists would spring into action. NGOs and nonprofits, foundations and charities set into motion like well-oiled machines, robotic and ready to protect the endangered species from the cruelty of men. If we were animals, my callous covered feet and dry hands would work in perfect harmony to move out and out beyond planning, navigating past all the manufactured and soul-lost half-faces. Then, think nothing more of it. Instinct, driving faster and further than any highway, away from the thing that had encroached on my habitat. 
unknowing pounding like pistons, alternating energy with infinite power pulling us back to together. If we were animals, they would them themselves and other each other to save us. They would draw out sacrifice streams from stone hearts, a price paid, they'd say, for the, their invasion upon the natural with their unnatural. If we were animals, they would turn, into, turn their own into villains on giant screens, pour music over the perfect golden-baked, grief-stricken, guilt-streaked faces with their backs bent in shame at what their own had done, crossing their chests and their hands signing checks with oaths. If we were animals, posters would have the word save under our chins. If we were animals, bills would be passed faster than potatoes, promising love with legislation. If we were animals, NPR would strike empathy on bare knuckles, gripping steering wheels. If we were animals, they would say, this is no way to treat an animal. Wow. Powerful, man. It's, um, it was actually something I wrote a few months ago, and I kind of hit it. It sounds a little weird. I've done a little writing every once in a I hide in Twitter. I know that sounds odd, but it's almost like my little journal thing. And then nobody sees I'm like, it's good. And then I find it later on. <laughs> no, I mean, Emily Dickinson stuck all of hers in a drawer. So, well, I mean, one of the reasons that I find it like that is that I, I mean, I think as I used to design mugs, there's something about Twitter. It feels a little bit like, because there's very few images and you can mute and words are so much part of communication there. And the, the structure, even like, if you think about, the structure has a poetic quality to it because there's that there's that there's placing those limitations on each tweet like as poets i think we know that yeah, it, it forces you to really really make sure is this exactly what i want to say and how i right. want to say it and, and there's value in that i used to like go on these long facebook rants and then i thought i, I, I was like, okay you know? this is yeah and also the structure of it like breaking it like the threading yeah. right there's something poetic about that I and mean, if we almost think about it like i've, I've played around a little bit Sometimes, like if there's a poem I love, like that end to tolerance poem that I keep mentioning, when you structure it, right, it works perfectly. Like within the segments of Twitter, I, 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 before you share the one that is about hope, can I just share her little advice on the, like, sure, because she's badass and really quick. Like, I mean, I the thing about this is that there's a level, especially as women, I think for any of the ladies out there listening, like, especially now, there's a part of us that we were brought up for so long saying stand up for yourselves, you know, don't, don't, don't be accommodating. I mean, but that's, all that's changed. Like there's something that's completely been thrown away with that. And, you know, we're often afraid. And, and I think men will start to follow us if we start standing up because there's just this thing that, I don't know, we, we, we forget how powerful we are. Um, and so she wrote this and I had never seen anything like it before. And I've got to tell you, she, I don't even know why she wrote it. I don't even know what the background is but when i heard this i was i was blown away by oh sorry it's called goodbye to tolerance is what it's called by denise levertov she says um genial poets pink-faced earnest wits you have given the world some choice morsels goblet gobbets of language presented as one presents t-bone steak and cherry's jubilee goodbye goodbye i don't care if I never taste your fine food again, food again. Neutral, fellows, seers of every side, tolerance, what crimes are committed in your name? And you, good women, bakers of nicest bread, blood donors, your crumbs choke me 
I would not want a drop of your blood in me. It is pumped by weak hearts, perfect pulses that never falter, irresponsive to nightmare reality. It is my brothers, my sisters, whose blood spurts out and stops forever because you choose to believe it is none of your business. Goodbye. Goodbye. Your poems shut their little mouths. Your loaves of bread go, go, grow moldy. A gulf has split the ground between us and you won't wave. You're looking the other way. We shan't meet again unless you leap it. Leaving behind you the cherished worms of your dispassion, your pallid ironies, your jovial, murderous, wry-humored, balanced judgments leap over, unbalanced. Then how our fanatic tears would flow and mingle for joy. Fanatic tears will flow and mingle for joy. I'm like, this girl, I don't know what the heck was going on again? there. Denise Levertov. And it was written in like 1972. And I got to say, when I heard that, it was not long after the man, <laughs> when I was suddenly, I, she gave me permission to be like, no, sorry. Like, I don't want to hear it. You are goodbye. Like anybody, you know, there's a certain point where she, I mean, it, it's a really, for some reason, she just kind of gave me this little bit of a, there's no, there's no seers on every side for some of this. There's just not. I mean, it's, she, it's, she took influence from William Carlos Williams and very interesting. I'm reading. I've intentionally not looked at, looked at her too much because um, I fell in love, so in love with this poem. I will, but often I, I sometimes will take a little bit of time with that before. Um, but I'm not surprised that she's not very well known because she was a nurse. Interesting. It's even interesting then, doesn't yeah. it? Do you know Sorry. what what you know what she was writing about? Like what was going on at the time? Um, let's see. She, I mean, she was a nurse during World War II, so she lived through all that area. Her first book of poems was called The Double Image from 1946. And it was published just after the war. Although a few poems in this collection focus on the war, there is no direct evidence of the immediate events of the time. Instead, as noted as noted above by Rexroth. The work is very much in keeping with the British neo-romanticism of the 1940s. It contains formal verse that some considered artificial and overly sentimental. Criticism, criticism aside, Gold said the double image revealed one thing for certain, quote, the young poet possessed a strong social consciousness and showed indications of the militant pacifist she was to become. So she was very anti-war and, and all that. Wonder, like, it I, makes I need to look into her more. I'm not familiar with her. I've actually never heard of her before. This. I've never heard of her either. Um, and it's interesting. Like, there's a this thing from 2013, the collected poems of Denise Levertov. I just let's see. It's a. Uh, I would say that the collected poems of Denise Levertov was with so much new poetry published every year. Why should anyone bother with the tossed off efforts of a long dead poet? See, I didn't even know she was dead or alive. To be honest, I haven't even known, I didn't even know that. She died in 97. Around the same year as Bukowski. In Seattle, but she's from England. Yeah, and she, and yeah, Bukowski died in, in Cali. So the collected poems of Denise Levertov is a different case altogether. A major poet whose writing covered the better part of the 20th century. Levertov is probably best known as an activist of the 1970s who strongly opposed the Vietnam War. Okay. So she was talking about, um, I'm not surprised, so if she had, if, 
it's interesting that, you know, there is a lot of, when people you talk about like Vietnam, my father was against the Vietnam War, but he wasn't, you know, on the, like, he, he was, he was opposed to it because he thought it was ridiculous, like, right? Um, in England, she wrote under the shadow of T.S. Eliot. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Who sent her a note of encouragement. Like, you know, you can hear the, in America, she became a blend of idioms. Her Anglican tones now harmonizing with the voice of a way's car influence. Like, oh, she says, uh, her spiritual a, never yeah, she, yeah, he, wrote, he really she had a lot of religious themes in her work it says here i'm looking at wikipedia yeah. now i'm now looking i'm looking at this article what's great like it's it's really yes. wonderful i mean yeah, one I, of those I'm, definitely, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look into her more i should probably yeah i will she's question. interesting but so the last poem the last poem yeah. i want to read um actually i sent a picture of it to Brent, which was from, uh, oh, I hung cool. it up during uh, the gallery we did at our apartment in New York. On We April. should do it. We should do a show in Florida about New York. Yes. No, for sure. I'm totally down to organize something. We should definitely that. do that. And, and I've also, I have I'm a body of work, so. And I want to, and I want to put up Eugenie Nesco's rhinoceros, so help. Did you just pull the screen up? Yeah, that's up. All right, so. Can you make it bigger? Can you make it bigger? This one's called like, make the large, like make the window the largest if you don't mind. Like this is like, like make that window larger. There we go. So this is the uh, second to last poem in the Manhattan poems, and it's called bibliography. Um, I don't know if anyone knows, but a bibliography is a a collection of books in a sense, and it like describes all the different books in there. And the analogy being made here is between books and people, as you will see. Um, but I think it's relevant to what we're talking about in particular about what makes a city a city and, you know, I'll just read it. I think it speaks for itself. I'm sure it's been said somewhere before that people are a lot like books. Obviously, some are larger or smaller, maybe shorter or thicker. Some are calm, some volatile. Some you, you, some you read fast some even quicker. Some are a slog and you give up going any further, even after really trying your best to make it through the whole thing, finding the parts that resonate yet realizing to continue any further may be a waste of time or that you've simply learned all you could. Some have lovely covers or jacket designs yet very little substance inside. Others may appear rather plain on the surface yet are packed with meaning complicated. Some are just terribly written or deceptive. Some are instructively tragic or inspiringly triumphant. Most are a mixture of both. Some you close temporarily and always return to. Some you close permanently and never return to. Yet a few are so complex and extraordinary that you wish you could explore deeper than the words, the ink, the pages, the cover, the spine, into the very mind that could produce such a masterpiece, to meet the author that made such a beautiful person. Most we pass by hurriedly, missing much, not paying attention close enough, not paying close enough attention, no notes in the margins, no looking up words. Not every book grabs us so, nor would just anyone want to read us so deeply. How could anyone possibly read each one? 
Reading the few we can manage is a daunting enough task already. I too am a book. How could I possibly explain myself to you? Perhaps there are no words that truly could. And from a poet, either that's saying something in and of itself about the mystery of people, that is, or I am really just terrible at this. But if there's any obvious truth here, it's that a library is just an empty room without its books, just as the city is a mere husk without its people. Bravo. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you. Isn't a bibliography like the end of a paper where you cite your sources? Uh, no. Nothing else. That is not what a bibliography is. Okay. Um, it is a, as a discipline, it is traditionally the academic study of books as physical cultural objects. In this sense, it is also known as bibli bibliology. Um, but really, it's just, it's a bibliography is typically, it's a, it's a book itself that is a collection of books and it describes each of the different books on a particular subject. Well, I also like bibliotech and biblio, like that's the yeah. word for library in other languages. Yes. So, yeah. so, so I'm assuming you speak Spanish because of, or, or at least- I am terrible at Spanish. I know okay. like very, very little of it. I'm the worst Cuban ever. There's a reason. Well, I mean, it's a, hey, listen, I grew up with, like, with Romanian and I studied German, but biblio, you know, like it's the word, it's a great word. I mean, there's, a, I used to be, I, <laughs> I have the I have the OED subscription because I'm that much of a dork, and uh, like so when you talk about even in there like looking at words and writing in the margins, I mean, I'll show you guys later. Like I have some books that, I mean that's the thing too. You know, Sorry. books, are, books are. I think when we stop treating and respecting books, and I know they say that like, first you burn books and you burn people, but I think it's even more simple than that. When you stop valuing books at all, like just it becomes something that's just digitized only or whatever or, or, or just tossed on the street to me they're 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 pricey people my my book collection i i consider my most valuable asset more than, you know, than any other physical thing that i own you know it's one of the things that makes also moving and a little bit daunting yes like, it is very frustrating i still don't have them all here most of my books oh, oh listen i have a bunch of stories and like but look here's the thing is i'll also say that the part of me that's like maybe i'll have a, like because my apartment's not big enough for my books like it's yeah. just not like where, you know where we are right now is not either but hopefully where we end up next maybe i mean that's one of my dreams like i will have a i will have a large enough play space to have yes books like I mean, yeah that's one of my long-term goals. I saw somebody. I saw somebody recently on Twitter make this post. Uh, it was some psychologist, basically. It was a, remarking at to all of the. This some other person had posted all their books, like like this this shelf with all of their books, and then somebody said, you know, I never realized how many people are hoarders. I'm like, oh, you, oh my god, like you can't, you don't book collectors, collect. especially. I, I, to me, that's positive hoarding. Hmm. All right, let's, let's, let's wind it off. Yeah. Uh, Juana, where can everybody find you? On your oh, um, so I am, um, my YouTube channel is um, youtube.com backslash O-O-A-N-A. That's my, so my name is spelled O-O-A-N-A, which is basically where you can pretty much find me anywhere on Twitter. It's at O-O-A-N-A. Also, I have a little shop where you can, uh, if, um, like, I, the little, I should have grabbed it, but uh, actually, if you can 
if we can edit that, I can grab it and show people my. Yeah, go ahead. I can. I can splice it. That. Uh, because you know what? Thank you for asking me this. I'm really the worst self promoter in the world. <laughs> yeah, we we forget all the time, and we're supposed to do it at the beginning of the show, and we always forget. Don't forget to like, yes. subscribe, do all the things. All the things. We know this was a long episode, and it was a little hectic with the dogs and New York City in the background and all that stuff. But if you stuck with us this long, you know, we really appreciate it. We hope you and you know you got something out of this really raw discussion. No, this uh, this one's a very fl more flashy because I have those hats that say no established 2021. Like <laughs> but this one's actually one also like I, I grabbed you know what I got him. This one's a little more flashy, but it's um so you can read what it says. Like it's I think it's backwards for us. Oh, it is, but for yeah. me, it's it's not actually. It shows a mirror here. So, uh, uh, let me unmirror it and see if it does that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I can hold a mirror up to it. Uh, no, yeah, it's but setting, it's setting in your uh, your video things. But... Yeah, my video so that I'm not mirrored. So, how do I do this in what my video? <clears throat> just it, uh, video settings. I see it all over here. I think uh, just read it. It's much more complicated. It says conformity is not unity. Yes. On it. Um, it's cool because uh, Josh Slockham talks about this thing called forced team. Now? Uh, no, it's still backwards. No, it's still backwards. Dude, so mine is backwards. Now it wasn't. That's so weird. Because it wasn't for me. For me, it oh, wasn't wow. backwards. Oh, well. But I also, but so there's a bunch of things like that. I actually just recently made a bunch of uh, um, LGB. Let's go, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but also some of the other things that I have in there are things like, you know, kiss me, I'm a classical liberal and other <laughs> little stuff like that. I mean, honestly, really, it all started with the no hat because I've been saying it looks like people like just, you know, learn to say no. So that was the first one. But that's magicalpaca.com, like like the like animals of alpaca. A -L I'll put links to in the description. Because I, uh, I had a dream about a magic alpaca. <laughs> um, but beyond that, you know, and I'm... Um, Nice. Been, uh, the other thing is on Twitter, so I've, I've got access to Twitter uh, Spaces uh, ticketed events, which now I think I have an idea for a ticketed event. I think you and I should do something with poetry, ticketed yeah. event. And, um, and I feel like, so um, I think that there's, so there's a lot of stuff there. And I, really, I'm easy to, you know, if somebody wants to collaborate and artsy stuff, my DMs are open and uh, let's, let's, Let's play. I, I think it, that's ultimately how we can win this. You know, we have to I agree with you 100%. Use, use culture, make culture, especially just because that that is what these authoritarians are doing. They're hijacking the culture. They're taking it over. And well, Dave Horowitz said something that was great. And this is something that people need to remember. The far left, the radical left, the left is that they're terrible at culture. Yeah, it reminds me. They can't mean either. They suck at meaning. It reminds me <laughs> of the quote from V for Vendetta: "By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe." V, very universe. And we will end it there. Thank you so much, Mona, for joining us. Go follow her. Do all the things, and we'll be back again soon yeah. with another episode. Love you guys. Thanks for watching. Bye. See you guys soon in Florida. Oh yeah.